The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. Um, we were just talking before we started rolling about Mike Glover, who's a, a guy online who uh, he's he also a real lot. life. He is a real life person too. He's not just—he's not just an animated character. I've met him. He gets—he uh, gets a lot of censorship, right? Don't they censor the shit out of him? Don't they uh, shadow ban him and fuck with his posts? He—he—he he, he teaches I, I hear preparedness, right? Yeah. So he owns Fieldcraft Survival, which I would describe as preparedness, not to be confused with preppers, which I don't think is. Has to be a pejorative term. There's a fine line. Okay, yeah, it's it a is. lot of the end of the world people, right? It's a lot of you if know. you're bearing a school bus in your backyard, <laughs> and you have like fields of fire and fucking bazookas hidden everywhere. It's you've taken it too far. Yeah. Having a medical kit in your car and some first aid training, like hey, I can stop bleeding until a higher level of care arrives. Yeah. I think that's great. So that's pre- preparedness. But Mike owns field cla- uh, fieldcraft survival. He talks about getting censored. A lot of people talk about getting censored and shadow banned. I can't make heads or tails as to whether or not that is how, how true it is. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Because... Some people's stuff is fucking boring. <laughs> so the engagement should be lower. <laughs> That's so true. But everybody wants to think they're so important. They're put on a list. Have you ever seen somebody complaining about being shadow banned and they have under 100 followers? Because I have. I have. Oh, it's really? It's fucking glorious. <laughs> I'm being shadow banned. I only have seven likes. I'm like, that's actually a 7% engagement. It's pretty good, dude. I do think it's highly likely that they take people and put them on certain lists, though, where you, you don't get distributed as widely. But I think what it is, it's like if they feel like you have controversial content, they don't want to put you in that search function area. Like, say, Instagram, for instance. You know, like, if you go to the search area of Instagram, you'll discover a bunch of new people and new pages. I don't think I'm ever in that. You know? Yeah. I, I think I talk too much shit, and I swear, and I show animals getting eaten. Yeah, the, the good stuff. That's yeah. the stuff that I'm at Fun Instagram stuff. for. Um, it's like nature is metal. Like that, that, that's that, a good page. That's a great Things page. Fucked up. It's <laughs> a great page, but nobody, you, you're never gonna find that in the search. Like this, you have to completely spell it out, don't you? Yeah, and you gotta go looking for nature's metal. That, that's one of my go-to everyday pages. I go straight there, see what's what's the new horrific example of survival of the fittest. I'm actually currently very deep into watching people eat shit on mountain bikes. Oh, it's one of my absolute favorites. Those poor kids that do the flips. And then land poorly. It's not even that. We're talking full, just heroic charges down these hills that oh, are just no. cambered out. And then the bike is going over. The last thing you see is the body folding in half on a tree and the bike oh. coming after. It's awesome. It's oh. taken me a long time to curate my feed to show me mostly these things. It's, it's work. <laughs> <laughs> just it knows Andy likes violence. Oh. I don't know if that's violence. That's just, uh, just chaos. Human beings yeah. exploring their flexibility. It's uh, what's what's uh, what? searching for mountain bike. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the month, you know? so good. We're out I'm there. sure there's a lot of good ones out there. Sure. Here's the thing though about guys like Mike. I think here we go. Oh yeah. Oh, kid. Oh, and he's tied up in the bike. Oh, I saw a bad one the other day with a skateboard. I think we played it on the podcast, right? Where the oh. dude wiped out and. He wiped out on a skateboard and hit some sort of a signpost, and it ripped his leg in half. Oh, cool. And his, the bones of his leg were poking out of his shin, and it's like, 
So here's a question for you. If Mike's on that list, who who decides who gets to go on the list? That's the thing. I think, you know, if you ever pay attention to any of that Project Veritas stuff where they've done undercover camera work with people that work on social media and they talk openly... There's a Project Veritas has quite a few of these undercover expose interviews where they'll have like a a reporter who is, uh, you know, pretending they're on a date with a guy and then the guy will explain like what they do in terms of how they shadow ban people, how they keep people's pages from showing up and how they keep their engagement low. So it is a thing whether it's a thing on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, which one does it the most and how they do it. I don't know. But it is a thing, and they do it with uh, primarily with conservative pages. They do it. Uh, they do it if they think that. I think they probably ramp it up around the time where elections come around because they want to make sure that you know these people don't have as much. In, like if you think about engagement, if you have a page and your page is a uh, let's say it's a pro Hillary Clinton page. And Hillary Clinton is running for president, and you engage with a lot of people, and your 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 page gets a lot of traction. If they can slow down your page traction, slow down the amount of engagement that you have, they can slow down the amount of people who might be influenced to vote for Hillary Clinton. And yep. say if you have a half a million followers or something significant like that, that could play out in whatever voting area you're in by. A hundred votes, a thousand votes, like who knows? Well, especially if people start sharing because yeah. then the content can go right. beyond that audience. Yeah. It's interesting to me though, you look at a guy like Mike. So very similar pipeline to Evan. Uh, Evan Hafer, Black Rifle Evan Coffee. Evan Hafer, Black Rifle Coffee, Green Beret first. So they went the army path and they won't, both went and contracted for what I'll call some alphabet soup organizations. Millions of dollars put into their training. Multiple deployments around you know, combat theaters around the world and even to theaters before combat is there to whether, you know, prep the battle space or train a partner, uh, partner force, you know, doing their FID, the foreign internal defense. But then they get on social media and people want to not allow them to speak about the things that maybe they have learned and experienced during that time period. Yeah. Millions of dollars of training, an incredible amount of experience. But you want to silence that voice? And I'm not saying all those voices, some of the people who pursue those occupations are out of their goddamn mind. They're sociopathic for sure. But I just, I find it interesting that uh, they'll put so much emphasis in one direction and then try to shut them down. We should explain to people that don't know you that you're a Navy SEAL. Too, I am so. not a Navy SEAL. I was a former. Navy SEAL in former. a different lifetime. Former Navy SEAL. That's correct. A different lifetime. Isn't that interesting? Because it is kind of a different lifetime. If you, th- like, uh, you think of things you've done in your past... Those are different lifetimes, different relationships you've had, different jobs that you've had. Those really kind of were different lives. It was almost 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I got out the last day of June 2013, so in about a year it'll be Are you even the same decade. guy? You, you think you're the same person from 10 years ago? Emotional intelligence, I'm still the same idiot. Um, <laughs> obviously, some more laps on the body, some wear and tear for sure. But, I mean, I look back into my 20s, I don't recognize the person I was. No. And I look back into my 30s, and I think I was getting a better understanding of who I was. But now, approaching my mid-40s, I think I'm finally coming into a place where I'm more comfortable with who I am and things make more sense. It's a completely mm. different person every decade, I would say. Yeah, I would agree. And for me, I'm in my 50s. This is 
the most mature I've ever been as a person, obviously most mature in terms of like actual real age mature, but it's also the most I've gotten my emotions and my brain and everything, my discipline, all of it dialed in under control. What age would you give yourself maturity wise? 54. I'm actually really a 54 year old. (laughs) No, I mean like the inside Joe. The, the, no, I'm like, yeah, I know I'm 20, 21. I'm like 12. <laughs> so you got a bit, there's the driver's but, license age and then there's how like, I act. It's In terms of how I treat people, I'm like yeah. 54. But in terms of like my childish, uh, like I like to poke fun. I like to have a good time. I like to talk shit. That's like still very immature. But awesome. Yeah, I'm very immature in that way. Yeah. No doubt. It's because you're a man. Yeah, that's that's a part of it too. Yeah, I'll probably peak at eighteen maturity wise. Yeah, in my well, I don't think I'll hit my eighties, but my seventies. You'll be eighteen <laughs> in terms sure. of maturity if I'm lucky. Uh, but, what's scary when I look back is in my twenties. I also feel like I am making up for a little bit of lost time because I was so focused on my old job for a very long period of time to the mm. exclusion of everything else, and yeah. a lot of things suffered. And it's taken me a long time to come back around and realize. Um, I forget who, who had said it, um, but it was we were sitting down having a conversation. They basically said, hey, here's the bottom line. The job suffers last, always. You'll sacrifice personal relationships. You'll sacrifice uh, marriages and loved ones. You'll miss birthdays. You'll miss holidays because the job suffers last. And when you're living that life, you don't realize it. In my 20s and early 30s, it was just completely front sight focused. And then now looking back, it, uh, you miss out on some stuff. For sure. And there's some consequences that you're going to have to make amends for. I think that's something that a lot of people find if they're obsessed with whatever their career is, whether they're a pro athlete or whether you're a Navy SEAL or I mean, I would imagine any, anybody that works in business at a very high level, you make sacrifices that if you have a family and you're working 16 hours a day as a CEO of a company, what kind of family do you really have? I mean, what kind Paper of, family. Yeah, what kind of connection are you yeah. able to really truly have with your children? Are you really there when they get home from school? How can you be? You know, are you are you aware if your phone is constantly ringing and you're you are obligated to answer those calls? And you ever see that show Succession on HBO? Do you ever watch it? No, it's a very good show. I love it. We just finished it today, uh, third season. Um, but it's basically about this billionaire family and they're all dysfunctional and it doesn't sound good on paper But in real life, it's fucking awesome. It's like one of the best written best acted shows I think I've ever seen but like the life that these people live It's like some it's like a, a Rupert Murdoch type character who runs this gigantic media conglomerate if you're that kind of a person, your life is that. That's your life. There's no other way to do that job. And I think that's probably, in your old line of work, very similar. And for anybody that wants to excel, if you want to be a high performer at any very difficult job, very competitive job, you're gonna, if you're going to really be at your best, you're going to give up a lot of stuff. You're going to miss out a lot of stuff. Yeah, I think the mistake is not realizing that you're missing out on it, which is the lie that I told myself, I think, looking back in my 20s and 30s. You know, oh, my kids are young. It's going to be fine. Like, I have to go on this deployment. Like, you you know, complete focus in that direction. And, uh, yeah, 
I think if you're going to be a high performer, like you said, you have, there is probably a lot of sacrifice. I wonder, though, if those people, the Robert Murdochs, are they on their deathbed? Are they happy? I mean, are they looking back with regret and wishing they had spent more time with their family? It's a good question because what is success? Like, what, it's a relative thing because success without happiness is not really successful. But a certain level of success plus happiness is probably more successful than more financial success and no happiness. Like, you're probably better off being in the middle than being at the top for a lot of things. Most people don't want to be in the middle. Well, for, certainly when it comes to competitive endeavors, they don't want to. Like I was watching this documentary on, um, there's a great documentary on uh, Marvin Hagler, Sugar Ray, it's called The Kings. I think it's called The Kings. It's uh, Showtime. It's on Marvin Hagler, Sugar Ray Leonard, and Tommy Hearns. And it's all about when they were um, all battling against each other, when it was, you know, the, the a really golden era for both the welterweight and the middleweight divisions. Yeah, that's what it is, the Kings. Great, I can't recommend it enough. When I was a kid, uh, I was uh, just a gigantic Marvin Hagler fan. I'm, I'm, I love Duran, I love Sugar Ray Leonard and Tommy Hearns too, but Hagler, when I was a kid, was the man because he was from Massachusetts, as I was. And uh, I would remember uh, reading about what he would do. He would go into complete isolation. Obviously, this is, a pre, this is pre-cell phone days. But he wouldn't see his children at all during training camp. He wouldn't see his wife. He wouldn't see any. He did, hmm. No idea what was going on. So he would miss birthdays. He'd miss some of his children's births. He wouldn't be there for when his, his kids were born. He just, just was focused completely on being the champ. And he goes down in history as one of the greatest of all time because of that. But it's like... Is that what you want? You know, do you do you want do you, if you want to be Marvin Hagler, you want to be that guy who was just when you would see guys when they'd step into that ring and they would look across the street, look across the ring at pure determination, pure will, pure discipline and championship discipline. It's like that. That's why he was who he was. I mean, yeah. there's there's only one Marvin Hagler. There's only one guy like that. Yeah, I would never discourage anybody from doing that. My advice would just be pay attention to what it is you might be missing and make an effort to yeah. maybe close that circle later on in life. I mean, I'm in a different phase, I, I'm a, right? I'm living a different life at this point, and I have the opportunity, at least in theory, you know, to try to close some of those gaps that I might have missed um, because my kids were younger. So I, I think I was able to get away with a lot. I mean, I remember the last appointment I did, I kissed my daughter goodbye in a crib. You know, that's how, how young she was. She doesn't have any memory of that. My boys do. But there's still uh, there's still work that needs to be done to close that circle up. Mm. So Yeah, that's a different story, right? The, 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 the circle of having this insane dedication and ignoring children. Because you don't, you don't get those times back. Like, you get times back with your friends. Like, if you don't see your friends for a couple of years, like, I have friends where I can miss them. I don't see her for two years. We run into each other. Within five minutes, we're back to where we were, yeah. and we're just having fun and having a great time. There's no issues. But the, the the developmental process of a child is so critical, and like being around kids when they're young, you, you never get that back. Well, there's being there, and then there's being there, and this mm -hmm. is also a mistake that I made, too. I, I was fortunate I was at all the births of my kids. I didn't miss our rotation cycle for whatever reason. I was home for Thanksgiving and Christmas. I don't think I missed one. But there is a difference between being physically present and mentally 
present. And that is one where I know, looking back, I would not give myself the highest of marks. Mm. Uh, Again, the job suffers last, and that's not an excuse by any stretch, and people should judge me harshly for that. But at the same time, it's also allows, I mean, it's what allows you to go and focus on and and do those things. Because I don't, if I had not had that level of focus, I mean, we're spinning off into hypothesis, but who knows what would have happened? You know, it could have either cost me my life or what would have actually been worse, in my opinion, is it costing somebody else their life. And that's real. If you're in that kind of a job, you cannot have distractions. You can. You Doesn't can. work out well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you get shit canned. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the standards and the tolerances, they're tight. And, yeah. and people will get benched sometimes and given time to work on whatever it is uh, they need to work on. And from my understanding, the modern day teams are doing a much better job of integrating the overall family unit. Mm which I actually think will make the guys even more lethal. If you know your family's taken care of, if your family is healthy, if you have a good communication dynamic and things are well when you go overseas, it lets you put even more mental horsepower into what's going on over there. That makes sense. Yeah, um, but it's <clears throat> interesting occupation. Every, every time somebody says, hey, Andy, I want to be a SEAL. I'm like, awesome. Let's talk about other jobs that you might be interested in. <laughs> <laughs> like any other job. <laughs> Is there a, a, a like in terms of like qualified candidates? Is are there less now than ever before, or more? I'm a little bit detached from the process, so it's like second or third hand. But I don't think there is a lack of people signing up to do the job. Um, but it, qualified candidates, I mean, <sighs> qualified physically. I mean, it's the, more than physical, right? But the initial pipeline is a very, it's very physical. You know, people say, you know, the, the physical part is 10% and the mental aspect is 90 and you can put whatever ratio you want to it. It's challenging for both. But the first thing the program does is it grinds people into dust. That's what it's designed to do physically. And that will expose a lot of uh, mental weaknesses. And all I can really say is that the big end of the, the siphon is very full. The bottom end, the smaller end of the siphon, is still spitting out the exact same number of people. So I think it's working. Um, I would say there's not a – I don't think there's a lack of qualified people. My concern would be – and this is not based on anything that I have necessarily seen but just kind of watching the world that I think people may be perhaps pursuing that type of occupation for very different, perhaps more self-serving reasons now. Like what kind of reasons? (sighs) You ever seen a movie or a book about the post 9-11 era, Joe? Yeah. Do you think that people really enlisting and, and, and trying to go through the process so that they could eventually write books? I don't know if that would be in the forefront of their mind. I think people might be enlisting and pursuing those jobs for the fanfare that could potentially come from them. Oh, Christ. Uh, well, when you reward them yeah. on a national – and here's the thing. I found – more information about the SEAL teams through a documentary called Navy SEALs starring Charlie Sheen than any other movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's the fucking greatest SEAL movie ever created. I found out through Dick Marchenko's books back when I was a kid. So that's actually what led me to uh, the movie Navy SEALs. And I would just recommend <laughs> people go and look at the hair on those gentlemen. Fucking top-notch, mm. just constantly manicured. I don't know about the... Uh, you know, the telemarketer headsets that they're wearing that don't respond well to water or sweat. I would probably pass on there that. There he is. Look at him. Oh, God. Look how good his hair looks. 
My hair's never looked that good ever. What's that scarf supposed to match? Let's talk about it's this for a whatever second. Whatever it is, it's dope yeah. as fuck, and I need one in my life. No, you don't. I, I, do. I swear to God, if I saw you wearing one of those, I would at least oh, attempt to choke you with I'm it. I'm gonna wear it at the range. <laughs> At the range to keep shells from going in my neck, bro. Now we got Vietnam era <laughs> woodland camo with oh fuck cigarette butt. I mean, <laughs> yeah, look at him. He was a beautiful man. So right, can we agree to that, Charles Sheen? Oh, for sure. In that picture, he's a beautiful man. Look, I mean, imagine you are pretending to be Navy SEAL. Yeah, you have weightlifting gloves on. It looks like. Yep. Uh, Fingerless, of course. Finger like the. <laughs> Man. <laughs> oh! How long after this did Hot Shots come out? Because they completely parody this movie. <laughs> it's a good it's point. Like, Ten to fifteen year, years, probably. No, it was like a year later. <laughs> That's a very Hot good Shots point. Hot Shots is in the nineties, and very he's good point. making fun of himself. That Char is a straight-up telemarketer headset, no doubt about it whatsoever. Yeah, that is not a headset you wear in the field, right? That I'm not joking though. So I was able to oh. find uh, the Dick Marcinko books. I was able to find a book called, look at that, MP5 <laughs> SD, fucking get some. No magazine. No magazine? Why yeah. doesn't it have a magazine? <laughs> it's like, hey, asshole, what's in that pouch on your shoulder? What the fuck what? do you carry on your Why shoulder? Why doesn't it have a magazine? <laughs> How is he? <laughs> there he goes. He's got a mag in that one. Oh, finally, got a magazine. Oh my god, that's hilarious. I did that a, telemarketer headset's killing me. <laughs> oh my god. I did a breakdown of this with Callan and I had him narrate the scenes and he was like deep into it talking uh, about angles. He was completely and utterly wrong with everything that of he course. said. He's, he, Brian's the best. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, but, I mean MP5 SD. So that's a pistol round. That's a 9 millimeter. Is it really? Oh yeah, that's a 9 millimeter cartridge. But it's so big. What's so big? The, the gun? gun. It looks like you could carry more. Like you should probably like beef it up a little. I think it's a thirty. Well, I mean, it's still going to be shooting a, a pistol. Oh my yeah. god, the jump scene! Look at these guys. <sighs> so, in the history of the SEAL teams, there has never been a skydive into a fucking Dreger dive. Like there are so What's many things. Dreger dive. So what they're wearing in front of them, that's a Lar Five Dreger. That's a rebreather. The oh. green bottle underneath is pure oxygen. Inside of the black, like little clamshell thing, is. A container that has either probably softenolime or sodazorb, and it scrubs the carbon dioxide out of your breathing system so that uh -huh. the black cable going around their neck, or not cable, hose, it's an inhalation and an exhalation hose. So you purge all of the uh, carbon dioxide out of your system, and you're breathing pure O2. And so there's no bubbles. Right. So what they're saying is we're going to skydive in to a jump and then be super sneaky on the way in so we don't have any bubbles. That's not possible? It's very possible, and it's happened precisely zero fucking times how come because it's dangerous you're combining like <laughs> multiple different things and but he's charlie sheen he is charlie sheen Look trust at his me hair that movie is fantastic it legitimately i've watched it probably 200 times most of that was before the age of 18 though and i had the dick marcinko books and that and that's what led me so i i'm not i'm not hating on the people that do write the books because that was my initial intro and, and information to yeah. lead me towards that, but the volume of them and how there's a culture about around being a veteran and, and people will be very upset about that. And maybe to some degree I fall into that because I was a veteran too, but there are people who make their entire living upon what they did in the past, mm -hmm. the vet, you know, the bro vet culture and all that. And again, right. people can do it whatever they want to with their experiences. But when I was joining there was there was none of that. It was hard for me to find information. And now the information is almost overwhelming. And I don't want to rob that of, of from people because, like I said, it's the same path that I took. 
But there is also an unhealthy desire for people to be elevated in their status and use that occupation for that. Mm-hmm. And I and again, I don't have any data to support it, but I would be worried that perhaps people people's reasons for joining is shifting. Mm, that makes sense, right? Like they they see the glory, so they go towards the glory. You know, that's uh, one of the things that people from the early days of MMA. <clears throat> one of the things that they really liked is that there was no money. Not that they liked that there was no money, but they liked that everybody who was competing was doing it for a pure reason. They were doing it to test themselves. Yeah. I mean, they were doing it because they really wanted to see how their skills stacked up inside the octagon. It's pretty tough to get punched in the face for free. Well, I guys did it. <laughs> for the right reason, though. It yeah. separates the wheat from the chaff pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, if you want to compete, like... Uh, like amateur fighters, you think about how many guys are fighting amateur and they're out there getting kicked and punched and strangled and they're not getting a goddamn penny. Hard pass. Yeah, that's the reason why they're doing <laughs> it, though. They're doing it for the right reasons. They're doing it to, to excel. I completely and utterly support that. And I think that you, I think that everybody should go through that phase in their life mm. where you see where you want to go and you're kidding just your dick stomped into the dirt and you're not being rewarded for it in any way and you have to struggle and fight and just grind your way to that end state. Yeah, I'm a firm believer that those uncomfortable experiences of failure, are they are so critical to your development as a human being. And not just your development in whatever the endeavor of choice is, but your development as a human being. That if you don't have those, the people that seek too much comfort if you don't have those rough experiences, you don't develop properly. Those people who seek too much comfort, they don't develop right. They're like a salamander that never becomes its mature form. There's something missing. Because yep. unco- the uncomfortable experience of, of failing or of being smushed, of being overwhelmed by the competition, like being completely inadequate, completely unprepared, completely... Uh, insufficient to get the job done like that's important to know because otherwise you go through this life with like how many guys out there who have never had any physical altercation with people have this completely distorted perception of what they're capable of doing but they're called game time player joes they don't need to train (laughs) it's my mentality they see red yeah when the when the The body start dropping yeah yeah. Usually after about a 12-pack, they just yeah. see red, get after it. There's a lot of people that really <laughs> believe that. And that is precisely because they haven't experienced it. Resilience can be taught. Um, you know, to go back to, again, you know, the my old job, people will equate uh, or they talk about mental toughness with it a lot. And everybody has some degree of mental toughness, right? Like you're you're born with some. But I'm a firm believer they can actually be taught as well. And we've talked about this offline. I think we were at the Deseret talking about the theory of keeping your world small, right? Little small chunks and stuff like that. The way you set your goals drastically will impact, I think, the statistical odds of success, but also seeking difficult things and finding failure. Resilience, the only way you're going to build resilience is if you push up against things that are hard. You know, the definition of resilience is an object being pushed from its normal state and returning to that state. I think the goal should be return to that state plus 0.01%. But if you always avoid those things, how are you ever going to expect to be capable of handling the challenges of life? And I think yeah. that's where the mental the mental toughness aspect of not the SEAL community, but I would say the military to a degree, but specifically because I can speak to the special operations world, 
you're, the pipelines, they're just wrought with failure. I mean, the curriculum is designed to find your weakest point and then exploit it and get in there with a rake and just fucking dig around in your head. And it's failure after failure after failure after failure. Not catastrophic, but small failure, small punishment. And there are people who see that as a roadblock and they quit. And there are people who see that as a motivation and they move forward. And if you can, if you can grasp your head around those principles, I mean, it puts you in a place where you're able to accomplish things that will make people scratch their head. Yeah. And, but it can all be taught. It but, can be. But you have to seek that. You have to seek that and you have to be you have to be accustomed to the experience of trying to do things and failing, trying to do things and getting maybe a little bit better. Looking back six months, you're better than you were then. Looking back a year later, you're better than you were then. And being able to trust that process and just keep grinding. People want instantaneous satisfaction. They want instant advancement. They want to, you know, like they want to know that if they take ten classes, they get a stripe on their white belt, you know, and that's just not how the world works. I think that's why I like jujitsu so much. Not because of the ten classes and you get a stripe on your white belt, but you, it's the growth is incremental at best. At best. At yeah. best. The best, <laughs> the best way to ensure more than incremental growth, though, is to do the difficult stuff, um, drilling. Roll with a dude who know you know is just going to hand you your lunch. I don't know if that's the best way. No, I don't mean like like rough hand you your lunch. The dude, everybody to include myself, like you go to the gym, you're like, God damn it, like Bob's right. Bob's here. It never right. goes my way when I roll with Bob. So right. I'm not going to. It's like no, you need to go roll with the guy that you know is probably going to beat you. Right. Except the fact that you're going to get beat. I don't mean getting mauled, even though I do believe there's a time and place for that too. But that's your body will tell you, like. And this happens, I think, professionally as well, too, because it happens to me. I'll fire up the inbox. I'm like, God damn it. I don't want to answer that email because I don't want to talk about that topic. So that's exactly what I actually should probably be attacking. Right. Jiu-jitsu, I think, right. is just more of a physical expression. Yeah. I think um, <clears throat> being with a guy like the Bobs of the world, it's, it's a, a great litmus test, too. You need those tests. You need to know. <clears throat> you need to have, like, a real idea of where you're at. Like there's, I remember when I was a white belt, there was guys that I would roll with that would just smush me. And then by that the time I got to be like a brown belt, I could either stalemate them or I could occasionally tap them. Yeah. And the same guys who used to smush me, I could tap. And that's a crazy feeling of knowing that it's this long journey of over a decade of getting strangled and your fucking ass handed to you that you do. <laughs> You make progress, but willingly go ask another man to choke you nearly unconscious. Yeah, but it's that's, not kinky. That's what it is. It's the de and it's not a decade for everybody. I didn't, I didn't train as much as some folks do. Like like you know, some folks are training every single day. Like Bourdain, when he was uh, really into jujitsu, he was telling me that he was taking a private every day for an hour, and then he was taking a class every day after the private every day. So about two hours of training a day. Two hours plus every day. How old was he when he found 58. it? Fifty eight. Fuck, I, 58, smoking cigarettes, <sighs> overweight, had high blood pressure, was on statins. He took statins because we had a conversation about that, too, because he did not want to stop eating the kind of food that he loved. And he had high blood pressure and he had high cholesterol. <laughs> I can respect had, that decision. <laughs> well, he was a food freak, man. I mean, that yeah. was his fucking occupation was traveling around the world. And he said, I, you know, I, I'm not going to stop eating this food. I mean, this is literally what I enjoy most in life. I travel to these places. I have these amazing dishes. Like, why would I stop doing that? I'll just take whatever pill they have. 
And I'm like, I get it there. Like most people, they would tell you, you know, I'd rather take a pill and I don't want to make any lifestyle changes. I'd be like, oh man, like what, what are the downsides of that? I don't know what the downsides of statins are. I don't know. And matter of fact, didn't David Sinclair talk about the upsides of statins? Wasn't that something that he had brought up? I know I've read things. I'm not sure. But, but the point is like for most people, I'd say, man, you know, make some lifestyle changes. But for him, I was like, okay, I get it. But when he he started training every day and he was training two plus hours a day, he got off everything. He didn't need any medication. That's all a went crazy away. volume at fifty eight years old. He's an animal. It was an animal. Yeah. Oh, he, that one hurts me. That one hurts me. How he, far did he? He, he was uh, a blue belt. Okay. He was good. He was good, man. The guy was an animal, and he he was very proud of the fact that he could really be a hard role. He goes like, uh, you know. He goes. I was a good role. How tall and heavy was he? He's pretty tall. Um, I think I, I think he was like six two or six three. One ninety ish. He looked a little thinner he, than most. Towards the end, yeah. Towards because uh, he got very ripped. <clears throat> There's a picture of him walking down uh, the street somewhere with no shirt on, with the ex, with his ex, with the you know, I guess the girl he was dating when he died. Or was I think they were broken up when he died? I mean, he was like full six pack, which is crazy. Cause At like, that age, yeah. yeah, I aspire to be able to do that. Yeah, I'm sure he wasn't on the natch. You know, are you trying to say it was more than chicken breast and broccoli? Joe? Yes, I think <laughs> I think he had some help. In fact, I encouraged him to. Here he goes. Like, look at that. Holy shit! Yeah, bro, legit. Yeah, well, Tony was an addict. Right, so he, yeah, he was about him. addicted to not just looking at him in Iggy Pop. He was addicted to not just things that were bad for you, but also things that were good for you. You know, that's something BJ Penn told me too. BJ Penn told me he was having a conversation with this guy who was a, a, a huge fan of his, who was addicted to jujitsu, and he was saying to BJ like, "I got my black belt in three years, just like you." And he goes, man, he goes, you're dedicated. He goes, no, man, I'm addicted. I'm addicted just like you. And he goes, and then I realized, like, oh, yeah, that's what's going on. I was addicted. I'm addicted. I, I think there's an aspect of that, and I also think that there are people who use it as a coping mechanism. They'll yeah. dive into that as opposed to having the hard conversations with themselves or putting the work in. Because all they're doing it actually goes back to what we were talking about before. They're working so hard on one thing to the exclusion of others. That's true. Yeah. So it's uh, – I mean, I don't have nearly enough experience to comment on jujitsu as a whole or anybody else's journey in it. But from the conversations I've had with coaches that I respect, they have all kind of either experienced that a little bit, that level of dedication, or seen other people who every other aspect of their life is falling apart, but they'll spend three to four hours a day on the mats. Yeah. So, I can, I mean, I can see it is addicting. It's fucking awesome. I wish I had found it 30 years ago. Yeah. How are you still injured? You had like an elbow thing Dude, that was I'm keeping so you from doing good. Are you good? That's called just not tapping, Joe. Oh. It's a theory that nobody should uh, explore <clears throat> and recommend, but. It's hard to not tap or it's hard. Yeah. It, was, it was my own fault. It came on faster than I thought it would. Um, so, yeah. I'm what little, came on faster? The, the, the arm bar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was fine. Yeah. I also could have. Uh, started to tap before my arm was straight. There's a lot of things that I could have done. So uh, is it still fucked up or is it better? We're good. I'm good now. It's good? It but it good. kept you from doing archery for a while, right? It happened right before the archery season two years ago. Oh, no. Which the first thing I did was go try to pick up my bow because it was, of course, my holding arm. 
and I go to pick it up, and yeah, that's not happening. I could have drawn it, but it would have just drawn it directly into my face. <laughs> <laughs> Did you use uh, peptides or anything to no, help heal it? I told you, I'm scared of fucking needles. I'm not oh, going to shoot on. myself you, up. Is that real? That's real. I don't like needles. What's wrong with ne- What is the needle thing? I don't understand that one. I don't know. Why do some people like chocolate ice cream and not vanilla? I can't explain it. I, I think it's so funny because this is one of the things that comes up a lot with uh, COVID vaccines. People go, are you scared of needles? I'm like, no, I'm not scared of needles. Like, why, how the fuck would I be scared of needles? Some people are scared of needles. Well, let me rephrase it. I don't have any problem with shots. And we did like a bunch of IV training and then which paid off awesome when we were hungover. I don't have a problem getting shots. What you were describing would be me having to shoot inject myself that bothers you i would pass out really oh 100 <clears throat> percent. just straight auger i just or i'd have to sit there and like count down from 10 Be like 10 9 okay i'll start over 10 that's wild i just can't i look it. at my body like it's made out of play-doh i just stick the needles in really yeah it doesn't even that it, does not work for me i when i had like a tennis elbow and i would like put the bpc 157 into there i would just stick it right in there and just squirt it in there you're a unique man Joe, I don't think that's that unique. I think it's uh, the the needle thing is I don't know what it is, but for some people that are like really tough people, that's an issue. The needle thing's an issue. It's an issue if I have to do it myself. I don't have a problem with shots or blood draws or stuff like that. I used to date a girl, and uh, her her whole family had a thing where they would see things and they would faint. Like the dad was a like dentist. goats, like the fainting goats. <laughs> <clears throat> like the dad was a dentist. And one day his son got sunburnt and he had blisters and the dad saw the blisters and just fucking dropped dead. Just fainted. Not dead, you know, fainted. Yeah. And and I was like, what? Your dad just faints? I go, well, your dad's a fucking dentist. How's he just faint? And so one time her and I went to the movies and in the movie someone was shooting heroin and the person sticks the needle into their arm and plunges the, the hair and she just blacks out at the movie theater. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck is going on? So it's like... Some really strange, it seems like it's a genetic thing. Like her and her dad would just fall asleep, rando. <laughs> I hope they didn't see any of that shit when they were driving. I know, right? I mean, that's a rough life if you just randomly see things and pass out. Yeah. I would get that checked out. Some people pass out, though, right? When they see things that are fucked up, they pass out. What is yeah. that? What, I mean, what shock, I think. Yeah, but like, what kind of like uh, evolutionary benefit? Would there ever be in blacking out when you see something that's stunning? I don't know. Don't you ever watch videos of fainting goats? I don't think there's any evolutionary benefit, but it happens. Yeah. They are, they're the best. They're not as good as people on you know mountain bikes eating shit, but- My dog caught a possum a few months ago. And- uh, It played po- dead? Yeah, it plays dead. <laughs> but they, I thought they played dead, but apparently they go into shock and they just lay there and they think that it might increase their benefit- like increase their their chances rather of survival because some animals when they attack them will stop attacking them if they don't move. So when the animal hmm. attacks them, like like a wolf or something will shake them, and if they don't just lay perfectly still, the, they'll think they're dead already, and they might have a chance of survival that's better than fighting back. I think I would fight back with the wolf. That thing's gonna eat your face. Well, did you have fight back with a wolf? Like, what's the point? The wolf's gonna fuck you up no matter what. Climb a tree. Reflex <clears throat> ves- vasovagal faints or reflex faints. That's are, what the- Yeah, apparently are unique to humans. 
Oh. So other animals obviously faint, but so we're, we're such a bitch ass species. We're such a bitch ass species. <laughs> we're basically water balloons. <clears throat> Vasovagal faints are essentially essentially a protective mechanism. Reflex faints are activated by the nervous system, which slows down the heart rate and lowers blood pressure response to strain, leading to reduced blood flow to the brain. I bet people who faint like that can get choked out easy. <sighs> Triggers for this can be surprisingly benign. For some people, laughing, coughing, <laughs> swallowing, urinating, <laughs> urinating. Imagine you take a leak and you just black out. Oh, don't f keep going. Or blowing, blowing on a, a trumpet. trumpet. <laughs> well, blowing a trumpet, like yeah, if you go to like Dizzy Gillespie, when I was a kid, I went to see Dizzy Gillespie live. Oh. I saw him live. It's the craziest shit ever. Do you know who Dizzy Gillespie is? No, not a clue. Dizzy Gillespie was a jazz trumpeter, like a legendary jazz trumpeter whose cheeks would blow up. He actually did it in a way that it's like not how they teach you. They don't teach you to fill your face up with air, but he did it and it became oh, like a damn. part of his signature. So we went to see him uh, when I lived in San Francisco. We went to see him play, and his cheeks would blow up like, I mean, it looks like he's got a softball on each side of his mouth. Was he able to play the trumpet differently than anybody else because of that? I don't know enough about trumpet to it's answer that good. question. I know that. He was awesome. <laughs> he was awesome, but uh, they, that's not the way they teach you to do it. Like, they teach you to uh, keep your, like, mouth shut. Because I remember I took a class, music class, on trumpet playing and while when I was in the class I was like remembering how Dizzy Gillespie did it and I was like that's crazy like hmm. this guy's a legend and he did it the total opposite because you're not supposed to fill your face up with air you're supposed to like like what's the correct find out what's the correct technique for blowing a trumpet because I think you're supposed to keep your mouth closed and keep everything tight you're definitely not supposed to fill your face up with air but Dizzy might have been self-taught. How to um, form a trumpet? Wow, how do you say that word? Ooh, embouchure, embouchure, embouchure. How to play the trumpet? Click that. Okay, click that. Let's see. I wonder if there is an agreed-upon best technique. This is uh, a gentleman called the Practice Black Trumpeter. I'm sure. In front I'm of a mirror, I'm or sure. using the front-facing camera on your phone. So you can practice forming your embouchure in one motion, like this. Like you're about to spit. He's doing like a uh, like a Bill so Cosby Jello pudding, <laughs> right? Isn't that look? Yeah. Doesn't that look like bring that together. face? Yeah. <clears throat> then we so, want to firm our corners mm. and lastly flatten our chin. So that the thing, shape, but that's, that's the, way the way you're supposed to play the, the flat face, right? So then you look at dizzy. Give me some Dizzy Gillespie so you can hear it. Holy sh... Look at his neck! Yeah. Yeah, like all the way to the back of his Holy neck would fill up with cow. air. So when you see him, wow. that's not how you're supposed to do it. But yet... He's a legend. A legend doing it his own way. There's always going to be an outlier like that, right? Oh, there's some weird yeah. shit in the archery world, too. Like, oh, there's no, yeah. There's a 90% everybody should do it like this, and then there's some mm -hmm. weirdo doing it some other way at an incredibly high level. Yeah. Well, you know, John Dudley is a big proponent of the surprise shot, mm -hmm. right? They're all using, like, hinge releases or all kinds of releases. You pull through the shot, <clears throat> and you get a surprise shot. But Cam Haynes just hits the trigger. 
he just lines it up and he just hits the trigger and he's the best bow hunter alive. So like, I mean, you, I think if you spend enough time yeah. dedicating yourself to it, you can get to that level. Yeah, I, you know, I think, no, I think anybody so who says this works for everybody is immediately full of shit. Yeah, I think so too. I think that's with everything. I mean, with martial arts, you see that there's people that have like really weird technique and they pull it off. But for for some things, it's like <clears throat> when you're learning. What you button should, are you hitting? Oh, there? there's a cough button. I got a cough button. I don't even have to cough, but see I want to hit that button. A little red button. Red, hit the button and start talking. Talk and then hit the button. Check, check. Yeah, I hear you. God that crazy. Damn, I got to upgrade the this studio. This is like a professional studio. It's close. I'll just take notes. Get other stuff. But you should learn the right way. Like, there's a reason why, like, you sh when you throw a right hand, you, you should turn your whole body into it. And, you know, it should be lined up with your shoulders and pushing off the floor. You could fuck people up without doing that, though. There's guys who hit so hard, they can hit you with, like, poor technique. All but you need to do is go on YouTube and put in there a cold cock, and you're going to see oh, yeah. the shittiest technique ever and people getting flatlined. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Easy putting in cold cock. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about your search history. On ice. <laughs> cold cock punch. <laughs> the thing is, it doesn't take that much to knock someone out. That's what yeah. people don't realize. You know, especially if you don't see it coming. How much did you pay attention to your bell getting rung when you were younger? Very little. Yeah, I didn't either. And I actually have some pretty severe concerns about how the later years of my life might potentially be, given my concussion history. I had an offer recently to get a brain scan and I panicked. Because you don't like, want to know? I don't want to know what's in there. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like uh, I had a concussion, not last year, but the year before. I went skiing before the pandemic ended, or before the pandemic started. Went skiing, and uh, this lady was kind of losing control and sliding into this trail. And I was going around the corner, and I saw her, and she would, she would, there's no way to get around her. And I was like, I gotta figure it. And I, and I, I had to wipe out. I had to just kind of like go around her this way. And the skis went up and hit the back of my head off the ground, and I was fucked up. I mean, it was a hard hit. That was, uh, I didn't go unconscious, but I definitely got a concussion because I was dizzy for the rest of the day. And, and I had a hard time with my coordination. Like I, uh, I fell down trying to get on the ski lift and then I couldn't figure out how to get up properly. Like, like my body wasn't listening right. <laughs> this is, and my daughter's like, the fuck is wrong with you? But get like up, a dad, lady, you're embarrassing a, me. <laughs> a, it was embarrassing. A lady had to grab my arm and help me stand up, which is, you know. I'm a pretty strong person. I can get up pretty easy with skis yeah. on, but my body was not listening right. And then the rest of the day, I was foggy. And I was like, Jesus, I didn't need that. And I was thinking about all the times that I've had my bell rang. Did you ever at all just consider nuking that lady and going through her? <laughs> no. We're no, I would have killed her. I was, I was coming around that corner. No, she, she was going to, it would have been terrible. Just curious. I'm not no, saying. No, <laughs> no, no. It would have been terrible. It would have been terrible. It would have been terrible. Last time I rung my bell, it was actually at Jiu-Jitsu. Again, completely my fault. And I'm glad I, it, at this point I can – I'm recognizing my mistakes and avoiding them, but I was the guy was turtled up and I was on his back too far towards his shoulders. Mm -hmm. He shook you? No, I got both of my hands involved over the – it was either one was over and one was under maybe going for a harness of some kind. And – Completely my fault to do so, but he rolled, and the first thing that hit was my head. Mm. And fuck, I had a headache for days. Yeah. 
And same thing, like foggy thoughts, very distressed sleep. I was actually, Ooh. I found myself waking up sweating in the middle of the night. Oof. It's, uh, it, I'm, the, the number of head injuries um, be very interesting. I would actually probably pass as well on the brain scan. I, I don't think I actually want to know. I don't want to know. Look, whatever I have right now, it's I'm maintaining. <laughs> I don't want to know that it's, I don't, you know. I mean, maybe I should get it checked out. I don't know. You know, the thing about that those kind of forward pitch things that freak me out is the neck injury. That that freaks me out more than even the head. I think. Oh, the head coming back. You mean? Yeah. Anytime there's a a, a movement where weight from two guys is on the the head. One of the guys from, uh, I think it was Team Alpha Male, I've heard this happen more than once, where someone shoots for a takedown and the other guy gets a guillotine and falls back. And so as the guy drives forward with the takedown, his head hits first with both of their weight Uh. and they paralyze. He broke his neck and he's paralyzed from the neck down. I've heard that happen on more than one occasion from that exact specific move. A guy shoots in for a double the other guy like r- just goes with it with the guillotine and you know gets the head to the side and all the weight of the head or all the weight of the two bodies hits the top of the head and it snaps the neck that sucks fuck man it's that's that's the scariest shit ever and that, that sucks for both people because oh, you know the person yeah. who had the guillotine have obviously had no intent to try to do that and you yeah. have to live with that weight that would yeah. suck well, you know, anytime you hurt somebody in training, like anytime like something happens and something someone gets hurt, you're always thinking about that next yeah. time you're training. Like whenever you're in a weird position, like a tangle of legs, and you you, you know like uh, someone's knee explodes, like every time you're in that situation afterwards, you're like, oh shit! Like you, you're gonna hesitate, you're gonna think. Yeah, I've heard that happen only one time on the mat. I heard a guy, I believe it was his MCL go, mm. and uh, everybody freezes. And then he starts moving his leg a little bit and then brace for the next six to eight weeks. Yeah. It made me sick to my stomach just hearing it. I wasn't even directly involved in what was going on. I had my ACL pop like a carrot. It was like, it snapped like it sounded like a stick, like a stick cracking. It was so loud. Is that a cadaver fix? Yeah, that one was. I've had both of them go. The left one, they did it with a patella tendon graft. The right one, they did with a cadaver. The right one was way quicker. It healed quick. With no like real residual pain, the right one was like six months later. I was doing jujitsu, but the left one with the patella tendon graft that was like a whole year before it felt good, at least a year. Can you trust it as much as you would have before? Yeah, it's stronger than it than it was before. It's one hundred and fifty percent stronger than a regular ACL because huh. uh, they don't use an ACL to the, the cadaver. Oh, they what use a they stronger use, tendon. They use Achilles from a dead dude. And I said, just get the biggest football player. Or a woman. <laughs> I mean, we shouldn't yeah. assume. What, that the, they get? They, they use a man. It's 2022. You shouldn't assume it was a dude. I was, I wanted a dude. <laughs> a big dude. A dude I'll take, I'll take a linebacker off the yeah, Chiefs. Yeah, that's what I yeah. want. I want some just giant Viking motherfuckers, <laughs> Achilles tendon. Give me his shit. Screw that in place. Yeah, I've been lucky. I've been lucky so far with injuries. I haven't had any knee stuff. It's I, di- I roll more defensively after that day. Mm. Um, yeah, you have to. I have to because I don't want to spend time off the mat. Man, it's so much fun, man. I love it. It is so fun. I what it. belt are you now? Purple. Oh, shit. Moving on up. Moving on up. Moving on up. How many years now? nowhere. Uh, three. Three and a half. And how many days a week? Eight. Really? <laughs> no, I go like five days a week. Well, eight, eight is, to me, it's like twice a day once. 
I do. I will usually do two hours a day, five days a week. That's a lot. My schedule five days a week's a lot. My schedule allows for it. Yeah. And uh, so that's usually a class for an hour, and then an open mat for an hour. Wow. Dude, I love it. That's awesome. That's I, awesome. I think I like the mental aspect of it more. The problem solving. I mm -hmm. like the fact that it's hard. I don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't think I enjoy things as a person that are easy or easy to me. I don't find a lot of fulfillment and enrichment from that. No, no one does. I mean, what what is good that's easy? Yeah, and plus, if you're waking up in the middle of the night still trying to figure out how somebody did that to you, right? Like, that's your like, you like, <gasps> you're like, oh, that motherfucker! I'm gonna get him next time. It's the best motivation <laughs> for cardio. I find myself like to this day, I'll be on the fucking the air assault bike, and I'll be doing those Tabata reps, and I'll think about someone who tapped me because I was tired like ten years ago. <laughs> I'll think about this moment where I know I could have pulled out of a triangle, but I was just too fucking exhausted, and then I wound up getting tapped. I'm like, shit! <laughs> and I just fucking... It's you amazing ever do Tabatas? Those... You ever do Tabatas? Oh, yeah, 20 on, 10 off for eight rounds. It's so effective. Whoever figured that out, I guess his name was Tabata. Izzuti, Dr. Izzuti Tabata. What, is a, what a genius way to expand your cardiovascular capability, because it really is genius. You can do it with anything to include body weight. So I, I used to work mm -hmm. for CrossFit, and yeah. one of the first things that they would do is they would give, get everybody out air squats, Tabata air squats, and your score was based off the maximum number that you could hold through the eight rounds. So if you did 30 air squats in the first round but four in the eighth, mm. your score is four. Oh, really? And so, And most people, I think around 20 would be pretty good. If that was your first exposure to that, though, you are going to be – you're going to be either looking for a wheelchair the next few days or walking like you have no fine motor control of your legs. Mm. You can do it with the kettlebells, Tabatas with the dumbbell. You can do it sprinting. It's it's one of the most effective protocols that I've ever touched. I wonder how we figured that out, how we figured out that 20-second 20 sprint, 20 second sprint, 10-second rest, 20-second sprint, 10-second rest. Have you ever played with like 30-15 or 30-10? No, I've only done 20 -10. I haven't either, and I don't know why because maybe – I don't know. I would imagine he messed around with it until he found the optimal – I think he was working with racers, actually, mm. endurance racers. My, my memory might be off on this, but I'm, I think it had something to do with increasing cardiorespiratory capacity without doing long, slow distance. Mm. Pretty sure. Mm. I also could be completely wrong. Well, it's, it's a weird protocol, right? Like the f 20 seconds of going all out and then 10 seconds of rest and 20 seconds of all out. But I found when I was doing that for a while, I had an injury and I couldn't hit the bag for quite a while, and then I was do, but it, I was still okay to do that. And then when I went back to hitting the bag, I lost very little in terms of cardiovascular capacity. I was like, "That's pretty impressive." It's pretty commonly accepted, I think, now. Like long, slow distance runners, they can maintain what they have, if not add to it, by doing shorter interval work. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I know. Well, I don't know an incredibly high level ones, but I know people who can perform at that level, and they're not going past like a four hundred meter. Hmm. Maybe at most some repeats of 800, like one on, one off. So when you would do Tabatas, like how many cycles of Tabata? Like uh, on, I have an Echo bike from Rogue. I have exactly the same bike. That is the shit. Yes. That bike is the shit. It is so good. And it's so fucking sturdy. I was just going to say, I think it could survive a nuclear blast. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> it's good. Rogue makes awesome stuff. It's so yeah. well designed. But when I would do, uh, I would do a cycle of eight. So I'd do eight sprints. You would do it eight times? No, I would. Well, I've done that too. Yeah, but you know that's like what's programmed into it. Every that, time that is the traditional to Tabata yeah. interval is eight rounds of twenty on ten off. It should take four minutes. Yeah, so that doesn't seem like a lot of cardio. 
Uh, I think it depends on how hard you go. Right, but four minutes is still just four minutes. Yeah. You think in terms of like long-term endurance base. You didn't. You, I think you would need to pile volume on top of that. Right. Um, well, I've done that. I've done eight rounds of that, and it's brutal. Eight rounds of eight reps. Yeah, that's bordering on psychotic. Yeah. Just on that bike you did yeah. that? I just, I've only done it a few times, but then you're, I'm wrecked for days afterwards. For people out here, out there listening, who think that like, oh, four minutes is it really that hard? I have, I have a suggestion. Go get an empty, forty-five pound barbell. Do you know what a thruster is? Yeah. You start in a front squat. Mm-hmm. You go all the way down and you drive it overhead for yeah. twenty seconds. Do as many as you can. Take ten seconds off and repeat that eight times. And let me know how hard you think four minutes is. <laughs> There's a good chance you'll shit yourself if you've never done that before. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of things that are really easy the first time you do it. Oh, like the very that's first not rep. easy though. What, but I mean, the first rep. Oh yeah, like ten like, reps oh. in, you're like, I am basically yeah. Marvel should be making a movie about me. Yeah, I'm Thor's bigger brother. And then in the third round, you're questioning your life choices. There's a great kettlebell series uh, by this guy Keith Weber, uh, uh, Kettlebell Cardio Extreme, and I would do this with either a 35 pound or a 45 pound kettlebell. And you pick up a 35 pound kettlebell, you're like. Pfft. This is nothing. This is so light. What? What is? How's this gonna be difficult for me? <laughs> Two minutes in, you're ready to die. And this is like he does. I, th- I think his program is like a half an hour. It's like this crazy half hour workout that basically does your whole body yeah. with one kettlebell. So with this one DVD, and Keith is a great guy. I've had him on the podcast before. With his one kettlebell, this one video, you you get this insane cardio workout. With a, a single 35-pound kettlebell. I owned a gym in Coronado when I was still in the military, and I would introduce people to the movements with PVC pipe. Really? And, I mean, what an easy, what a yeah. simple way because it's linear, and you can get them to move, and there's no consequences with the weight. But you can demolish people with a PVC pipe yeah. on, upon first exposure. I'm talking shaking like a dog, shitting a razor blade with a six-ounce yeah. piece of pipe. Yeah. So... I think it's all about the exposure. It is. It's well. It's just using your body, just body weight stuff, with no weight at all. There's so many movements that you can do that will crush you. Just do split squats with just body weights and try to stand up. You know, like <laughs> it's hard. Body weight stuff. You can. You can. Like when people say oh, I can't afford a gym. Like guess what? You're in luck. <laughs> yeah. Because you could basically bring your heart to the brink of exploding in a, a small room with nothing but your own weight and gravity. The first workout, I so for, I would say the first nine years when I was in the military, it was back and buys, chest and tries, and then legs. And by that, I mean a shirtless run on the beach. Repeated for like nine years. The first time I did a CrossFit-style workout, it was actually, um, I was introduced to it through Mark Twight, who's an amazing alpinist, has done some just, spectacular stuff and he's a wealth of knowledge and I forget the exact structure but it was squats a kettlebell swing and pull-ups and it was it started at a high number and it the workout is called Jonesworthy and at the end of it I felt I was like okay like my body feels a little bit different the next morning I fell down my stairs because my legs refused to work that's how much it destroyed me and I think the workout took like six to eight minutes and I had been around weights my entire adult life. 
And I'm talking to the point where like you need a rappel harness to get onto the toilet because like as you're squatting down, your legs give out and you're gonna blast the bowl out behind you. It's just like holding on to the door for dear life so you can actually not break the porcelain. But do you like is that the best way to get strong or should you build up so that that never happens, right? You know the Pavel Tatsalin mm-hmm. method, like so the greasing the groove method. Like in his world, you never get to that point where you're that broken down. For clarity, I did it to myself. It was a right. completely new stimulus, and I said, how hard can this be? Right. Me and a buddy, and we were literally crippled for days. For clarity. But for if, clarity. But if you're going to do it for optimum I would expose people very gradually and I would do a mix of that type of conditioning and pure strength because I can't think of a single uh, downside to being strong. But you also need to have capacity as well. No, there's no downside to being strong. But, you know, how do you feel about that? Like this school of thought, like the Pavel school of thought is you never go to failure. You just give yourself much more time in between the repetitions. You do like if you can do 10, you only do five, but then you do more sets. I don't have the knowledge or experience to even be able to comment on it. I mean, I, I messed around, and when I owned the gym, I was it was a CrossFit gym, and I was uh, administering that type of coaching. So I, I don't have the knowledge base to be able to say. I know that when I changed my conditioning from, I think the heaviest I was was probably 225, and that's before I put on any of my ballerina gear. And then I got down to about, 195 or maybe 200 but the lighter i got the more capable i was and i actually by changing the way that i trained i actually got stronger and more capable um but i don't know i don't have any experience outside of like genres of exercise beyond that so i don't know yeah there's so many different schools of thought in terms of like what's best for performance what would you say is best for jujitsu what would you recommend for people with a strength training regimen I think most people feel that kettlebells are one of the best m- modalities for strength and conditioning for jiu-jitsu. Kettlebells, chin-ups, and you know things, things along those lines. Because one of the things about kettlebells is that it, it forces your body to work as a, as a unit, right? Like when you're doing things that aren't sexy, like Turkish get-ups are a perfect example. Like that is a phenomenal exercise for jujitsu because it really does work your core, your core. It really does work your shoulders. Really does work your legs. It works everything. Yeah. And it's not bench and tries. It's not you know doing chest and biceps. Show muscles, if yeah. you will. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's not sexy and it's not fun either. Like when you're doing it, it's a it's a grueling. T- type of workout but I think those and like gorilla cleans where you have like you know one in each side uh, clean press uh, squats and doing uh, reverse uh, you know lunges and then reverse backward lunges and like things where you're forcing yourself to balance out that weight while you're you're moving I think those are probably some of the best exercises for jiu-jitsu and then another thing that's really good for jiu-jitsu is yoga Yoga is phenomenal for jujitsu. It really is because it forces you to be able to hold positions and breathe and control your body and control your breath in those positions. And also you maintain flexibility and strength and in especially like around the joints surrounding and like you, with your knee joints when you're standing on one leg balancing like you find it helps with recovery. Stability. Yeah, I think it helps recovery. I think it helps keep your body limber too, which I think is very important in jujitsu. Because there's always these positions where having a little bit more flexibility is very beneficial. Like some of the best jujitsu guys are very flexible. Like Hicks and Gracie, famously, 
was like very into yoga when he was young yeah. and was the thing that I th there's many things that separated him from other people but i think one of them was his physicality yeah he was i mean i've never met the guy I've, I've, the movie choke is unbelievable where it goes through his oh my whole, god it's the best choke is the best he was he was one of a kind for sure though it seems like they yeah. broke the mold with that guy a little bit there was some natural talent built in there with also a benefit of having um you know gracie as your last name and yeah. being born into that but god damn he was uh no he was something special do you he, get to train much anymore? Not more, not right now. But I'm getting over some injuries. Uh, I'm getting over some knee injuries, and I, I think I'll be able to train soon again. Do you do mostly gi or no gi? Mostly no gi these days, but I'm not averse to doing the gi. If uh, you know, if I decide to, I, I'd like to do both. Coming back again. Do you I, have a I full like gi. full spat collection? Oh yeah, I got all that stuff. I got rash guards. Do they match? I have some that match. I have some from you. You sent me some rash cards. I did. I, I, did. I got some more being made right now. Oh, yeah? Origin. Shout out to Pete and Jocko. So I went to their camp, their immersion camp. Is that in Maine? <laughs> it is in Maine. It's literally adult jujitsu camp. And I say that because you're staying at a campground in like a cabin in a bunk bed and you just go do jujitsu. We did 21 sessions over, I think it was five days with an open mat after. I, I don't. There's only one no gi class per week where I train, but we'll just pop the gi, t gi off, mm -hmm. uh, the gi top off, the kimono top off, and you, you can do that. So the point I'm getting to is I was unprepared for the level of enthusiasm that no gi players have for their outfits. <laughs> Holy fucking shit! So most of your training you do gi. Yeah, but I'll pop the top off and and roll no gi. But I. Like I have a rash guard top, like the ones that I sent you. But you use gi bottoms. Yeah, or occasionally I'll go to a no gi class and throw on a pair of board shorts. And nothing against it whatsoever. The vast majority of the classes where I train that I can go to with my time schedule are gi. So I roll to this no gi class at the immersion camp, which anybody who's in the jujitsu world should absolutely go. I have it like blocked off on my calendar till the end of time because it's amazing. What Great. time of year is it? It's the last week in August, I believe. I roll in there. And there, there are grown men in spats in rash guards that are like unicorns, like prancing off into the sunset. <laughs> there was a dude in a full Deadpool outfit, outfit from ah, bottom to top. Nice. I, I was completely shocked at the bottom amount. Bottom to top, like his he had like head the to face toe, thing? fucking straight. No, he didn't have the thing that came over the head. That would actually that'd be the shit. It would have been the shit, but also a little bit scary. Um, I these people must spend an inordinate amount of time. Like, does this does this bat spats? Do they go with this top? It was unfucking believable. And then there was also people there who I don't know your rule on this, but I say there has to be a minimum of four layers. There has to be spats or boxers and a pair of shorts between your dick and my dick. <laughs> what about a cup? There that could be, be a fine. Cup. There could be that's that's personal. Do you roll with a cup on? No. Oh, you should roll with a cup on. Uh, okay. I mean, I'll give it a try. You, the the reason being is I got kneed in the dick once, and uh, after I got out and uh, I went into the locker room and my jock strap was filled with blood, <laughs> and I was like, oh no! And so I looked for a cut, and then I realized the blood was coming out of the tip of my dick, which means there was damage inside. That's trauma for my sure. dick. Yeah. So that the was the last day I rolled without a cup. But people need to they need to grasp this four layer principle because there were people at the origin camp. You know they make boxers that you're supposed to wear under your other shit 
and there were a handful of people out there in the no-gi sessions. Just boxers. Straight boxers. With the, the cock flying free. One layer. <laughs> one unacceptable fucking layer between their dick and every part of my body. Uh, <laughs> just a, a thin piece of cloth. I mean, I don't hammer. need to know that much about people. Yeah, I don't, I don't need to know that either. But I was shocked. I couldn't believe the ensembles and the wardrobe of the no-gi players. I, I actually was relatively impressed. The amount of money that it would take and time to put those outfits together. At 10th Planet, we have a, a wide d- array of designs. There's, there's a lot of <laughs> like pretty dope 10th Planet <laughs> jiu-jitsu rash guard yeah. selections. Yeah. yeah, there was dragons out there. Like oh, yeah, I said, yeah, there yeah. was unicorns. There was sunsets and Skulls sunrises. And shit. Skulls were everywhere. It's like mandatory, actually. Skulls. Like blue belt and above, it had to be a skull. Bro. But yeah. that that camp was awesome. I, I left that with my eyes pretty opened as to what. There's just so many different levels. So who was teaching these camps? Uh, so Pete obviously is the one of the co-founders of Origin. Dedeco was there. Um, Alexei. Was there Laborio? Was there Jocko? Was there Dean Lister? Ricardo Laborio? Yes. Oh, nice. He is one of the nicest men I've ever met. In my oh, he's a life. great guy. Phenomenal. Uh, Jocko and Dean were there. Mm-hmm. Echo was there. Um, Leah uh, was teaching there. They had another woman come in. Um, it, w- it was really diverse. And then they would split. It, they would go different experience levels, and it would alternate from, I mean, top position, bottom position, sweeps, escapes, submissions. It was really cool. It was a lot. I mean, it was a fire hose for sure. Um, and I'm glad I went into it with at least a little bit of experience so I could understand, A, what they're talking about and at least try it. But uh, I would recommend anybody who's into jiu-jitsu go, for sure. And it was a week long? It was Well, you don't have to do a week. I think they break it up into like a portion A and a portion B. We went for portion A and B, and I'm it's glad that we did. Nice. So you stay there, you mm-hmm. eat there, the whole deal? It's, it's literally a summer camp. I'm not wow. joking. It's adult. It's adult summer camp. So you have to sleep in bunks? Um... I think there may be other options. I don't know enough about it to. Did you sleep in a bunk? I slept in a bed. It was a sing- It was like a queen size bed. And there's a room for all a bunch of dudes that are sleeping in beds. Pete hooked us up because I uh, had uh, a good friend of mine and his girlfriend go out there, and I went out there with my girlfriend as well. So we had our own cabins. Is Pete from Maine? Is that what the deal is? Why Origin is located up there? I think he is. It's cold as fuck up there in the winter, bro. I mean, he wears a Canadian tuxedo in the middle of winter up there. I feel yeah. like he has to be from Maine with that outfit. Denim head to toe, mm. which I'm pretty sure doesn't conduct body heat well. You see these fucking truckers that are still camped out in Ottawa, in, in Canada right now? It's like 20 below zero, <laughs> and they have everything clogged up with their trucks up there. And Trudeau is now hiding in America, apparently. No way. Yeah, yeah. They, they apparently he escaped Canada. I don't know now whether or not he made it to America. Whether or not that's true, I think he's in an undisclosed location because they're worried about threats of violence from these uh, truck drivers. But I don't feel like that. What they're threatening is violence. I think they're trying to have. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen any threats of violence. Yeah, I mean, but maybe they know. Maybe they're privy to things that we don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm sure if you get a large enough group of people together, there's going to be some wahoo's in there, but. To me, and I'm not following it incredibly closely, it seems like people expressing their opinion on the situation that they're living through. Yeah. And, you know, you had Jocko on recently, and he was talking about leadership through imposing your will. I could not agree with him more. That is a long-term recipe for absolute disaster. And you see it in the States where, you know, people are like, oh, okay, cool. Like, that's your mandate? Get fucked. Yeah. 
it, it only works for so long. Well, it, it's a strange time where people don't know exactly how to handle things, and people have different strategies for handling things. And a lot of times when they want to implement these strategies, you know, they're, they're doing so against the will of the people, and they think they're doing it for the people's own good. And some people are not buying that shit, especially when it comes to Canada, which has been really rough in terms of, like, locking down businesses and... Like, what's going on right now in Montreal? They have a 10 p.m. curfew, which is just wild. Like, why do you have a curfew? Like, what, what happens after 10? Like, they're, they're shutting down restaurants and bars and in, in parts of Canada where they are already, like, barely staying open. They were already barely alive, and they're not giving these people the options. It's, like, th it's been pretty clear up to this point that all these lockdowns don't work. They, they don't stop the spread. They don't. It's just... Or at best, the, the what would be the correct term? At best, the impact is measured in very, very small numbers. Yeah. Like fractions of a percent. I was reading something about that today. It's, uh, do you really think that the people are doing it or that the people who are making the decisions are doing it for the good of the people? I think in certain cases they're doing it because it's the optics. They're doing it because it makes it seem like they're doing something. I think that that's the case. And then, you know, if you want to hit this conspiratorial angle, then, you know, you put on your tinfoil hat and we can keep going. Because the, the, the people that are conspiratorial about this, and I don't subscribe to this, but I've listened to several compelling arguments in that way, that's where things get really. That's that that'll keep you up at night. Start, for the for the mandates and the lockdowns. Yeah, the mandates and the lockdowns, and people worried about. What's the theory about it? The that eventually they're going to implement some sort of a social credit score system that goes along with vaccine passports, and that these things are what they're angling towards, and that by slowly, incrementally moving in this direction, they're going to uh, apply this these new methods to control the population. You know, what do, what's going on in China? Mm. There's, you, have you ever paid attention to their social credit score system? No. It's, it's pretty fucking wild. Um, they can stop you from buying a train ticket. They can stop you from buying certain goods, like say maybe you want to buy a, a car. If your social credit does not align with uh, you know what what's acceptable for in order for you to purchase it, it doesn't matter if you have the money to do so. They can see this is where it could get wild. If hmm. if so, I mean and this is not happening, nor is it suggested to happen in the United States. I'm just saying like this is what happens in China. If you step out of line, if you protest some of the things the government's doing, if you speak openly and critically about certain aspects of society. They can put a hit on your social credit. And that Which limits what you can do? It limits what you can do. It limits where you can go. It limits what you can buy. Because essentially, the idea is that they'll be able to influence what you say and what you do because you won't want to get a hit on your social credit because that'll keep you from being able to go on vacation. It'll keep you from being able to buy a car. It'll keep you from being, being able to buy things. And one of the things that Yahoo had recently, there was an article on Yahoo where they were talking about people allowing uh, certain organizations, certain government organizations access to your browser history. And the incentive would be maybe you could qualify for more credit if they had access to your browser history. 
first off, for people listening, the yeah. government has <clears throat> uh, a, full access to your browser history. This is a piece I saw on Shepard Smith's show the other day. This was pretty recently. People in China growing frustrated. So th- I remember they talk about in here, which I guess we can play it if you want to. There is this a way that like if uh, someone goes to like CVS, their version of it, a pharmacy and buys, you know, something that says they have a cough or they have a temperature, it it goes through the system into their phone. A message pops up, which I think they sort of show here in a second, <clears throat> that says you can't continue to go places until you now have a past a uh, COVID test that says you're negative. Yeah, that's... Oh, wow. It's so they're tracking they you through your activity. Store. Yeah. Because you bought Tylenol or you bought... Right, yeah, here's you know. the stuff that pops up on their phone. Mm. And this is like, uh, this was newer information than... Uh, that this other piece that came out like a year ago? This is a, it says China scrambling to control COVID-19 outbreaks ahead of the Beijing Olympics, which kind of makes sense because they kind of have to do that. Yeah, that's all starting this week. Now, I don't know exactly what's going on in these videos, but this was part of this piece that popped up along with all the stuff they were talking about that day. Well, that's, I mean, they have a lot of different methods to control their population. That's just one of them. How do you think the pandemic ends? I think it should end with this Omicron. Hopefully, if there's not like another strain that comes out afterwards, my my concern is that we never go back to normal. That we're in like sort of like. Do you remember the days before the Patriot Act? Do you remember the days before TSA? Mm-hmm. Do you remember the days where like now we've just accepted those things? Like we've accepted TSA. You have to take your shoes off. That's part of the problem. Like you know, everybody remembers the guy. Was his name Richard? Whatever the fuck his name was, trying to blow his shoes up. Like that one fuckhead. Ruined it for everybody. Now everybody has to take their shoes off at the airport. Like it's just things they they change, and then they never go back. So that's where I can buy into a little bit, not the conspiratorial narrative, but the incremental moving of behavior. Yeah. I, I've been shocked at how malleable people are. Yeah, and how very much so. willing they. Are. Well, and I think the reason is, and it, I think that people don't realize how powerful fear is. Yeah. If you can keep people scared, you can do damn near anything that you want to to them. Um, yes, it's true. The shoe bomber, you know, and not to say that the TSA or any of that is conspiratorial, but do you remember when they used to color code the days yes. after 9-11? Yeah, the warning. Scaring the fuck out of people. Yeah. It's orange, threat and, orange. But, and what could come with that is, hey, don't do this today. Because here's the threat level, and people yeah. get scared, and they get and they get very. I just don't know if they realize how susceptible they are. And now I almost think it's at a point where some people in leadership positions, it's a different kind of fear. They're they're now afraid of not being accepted by the party that they identify with, and I see it on both sides. And the people who are suffering is everybody who's kind of in the middle, which I suspect actually in this country is like 80%. I have no data to support this whatsoever, but I think more people are towards the center than towards the extreme left or right. I would agree with that. Yeah. But now they're unwilling to change course because the fear of the pandemic may be one thing, but the fear of not being accepted by that party that they identify with. So they'll do anything. And I have nothing against masks, but hey, wear a mask at all times. Wear it in school. Wear it regardless of your age. And they're just like, yes, 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 yes. They'll do that. It's, It's kind of shocking to me how reactive people are. It is. It's shocking how easy people bend about how it changes who they are. It changes what they do, how they view the world. It changes what they accept and, and changes what it, it also changes like what, what they think of as being normal. Like it's normal to have a mask on now everywhere you go. 
for a lot of people. You know, a lot of people are like out there wearing masks outside. That makes no sense. It doesn't work at all. You know, you're walking around outside in the street with with a mask on. Like that is not helping anybody. I mean, I'm a, I'm a fan of people being able to do whatever the hell they want to do, but I. I also really appreciate people making informed decisions as yeah. opposed to just doing what they're told and not looking into it at all. Well, there's also there's so many people that are wearing their masks. It's almost like uh, they have them on as a chin strap, and yet they still have them on. They just kind of have them down here, and they're just wandering around. With, like It's like we've kind of like fallen into this weird zone of as long as you have it. We were I was in Vegas over New Year's at a jiu-jitsu camp. And Another jiu-jitsu camp. Look at you. I'm going to Costa Rica. Camper. This month. You're going to, to jiu-jitsu camp in Costa, Costa Rica. Rica? Yeah. Who's putting that on? Henry Akins. Oh, no shit. Who is a Hicks and Gracie black belt. Um, and when you roll with him, it feels like you're being beaten with this table. Um, it's fucking gnarly. But we're in Vegas, and everybody in the casino had to have a mask. No problem whatsoever. Put the mask on, and as you're walking through the one-armed bandits and all the other stuff, it is would be the polite way to say this. Morbidly obese individuals with a fucking redneck guzzler in the cup holder, mask down, not everybody, of course, but plenty of this, cigarette, and all the warnings everywhere in the casino are about COVID-19. It's like, what? What are we doing? And Mm. hey, I've had COVID twice. I'm not saying it's not real. I have family members and people that I know who are going through it right now. I totally get that. But goddamn. Yeah, there's a little bit of uh, there's a little bit of fantasy I think going on, and I and I do worry about the the yardstick being moved a little bit at the time. You mentioned the Patriot Act, I'm not against the Patriot Act, but I wonder how many people realize how much of their privacy they lost with the Patriot Act, yeah. and I'd be interested uh, for them to do a little bit of research and realize they never got any of it back. No, so once th- it goes, it getting that back doesn't happen. It's not going to happen. Yeah. That's the real concern. The real concern is that decisions that you make right now that you think are good short term, you have to look at the consequences long term. And I remember there was a discussion during the Obama administration about um, the uh, indefinite detention. It was about- uh, Guantanamo? Well, no, it wasn't just Guantanamo. It was, uh, I forget what the, the act was. That were they were trying to pass, but this idea that they didn't necessarily need the same uh, the, the, you, you, the same protections of the Constitution, the Bill of Rights were, were not going to apply if they could somehow or another decide that you were uh, a target that was worthy. I forget what the parameters were. Yeah, but what what I forget what I forget what it was called, but what I do remember was that. One of the things they were saying was that this is not something that we would ever use. I'm like, well, one, then why do you have it? <laughs> because if it's not something you would use, is this what it is? Yeah, I heard it. Defense authorization. Okay. Minus indefinite detention ban. That's right. The NDAA. That's exactly what it was. So the NDAA still allows indefinite detention of American citizens by the military, but President Obama says his administration won't use this power. That's exactly it. So, like, that, just that alone, indefinite. Yeah. Indefinite means the rest of your life. Like, that's, there's no, indefinite doesn't mean a week. It doesn't mean a year. It doesn't mean an hour. It can mean forever. It can mean whatever. Indefinite. 
I wonder, so that was signed in uh, 2013. Yeah. I wonder if it still continues today. So that was exactly, thanks for pulling that up, Jamie, the NDAA. So, but he said that his administration would not use this power. And put that back, please. Is um, the, the, the actual quote, I want to clarify that my administration will not authorize the indefinite military detention without trial of American citizens, Obama wrote. Indeed, I believe that doing so would break with our most important traditions and values, values as a nation. So that, the problem with that is, it's, if Obama didn't use it and wouldn't use it, that's great. But now it's on the books for Trump. Now it's on the books for or whoever him. might be in that seat. Yeah. I'm but, sure they but, I'm but sure he it was has after a, him. Yeah, I'm sure uh yeah. Obama Trump. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean and then who's after Trump? I mean, like what if we get a real fucking loon in there? What if we get a guy who's so crazy that it makes us long for Trump? Like that's it, all we'd have to do is get attacked. All we would have to do is have like a real hot war on our hands in the United States, like a real attack, Chicago gets blown up and we could have a fucking we could have a crazy situation, and that's when our our rights and our laws are critical. And having something like that, that free, the NDAA freaked people out, and having someone like Obama, which I don't think Obama would use that, but have him say we would not use that. Well, don't have it then. Yeah, I'm sure it came with an uh, an expiration date, but I'd be curious if it got pushed really? forward. Yeah, I don't think. I don't think that stuff lasts forever. I'm not a policy expert by any stretch, but I think as long as there's a war on terror. And yeah, the but war when on has terror, there not been? Yeah, exactly. Just because they started calling it in the last 20 years doesn't yeah. mean we haven't had enemies sure. all over the world. People oh, forget yeah. that too. Yeah. They think because we're not actively involved in Iraq and Afghanistan, which you know we still have people in Iraq. Yeah. Uh, I think the last stat I saw, we have you know a presence in about 140 mm-hmm. countries. Just even in the special operations world, like the war on terror is not over by any stretch of the imagination, it's, nor do I think it will ever be. Right. It seems like an indefinite war, indefinite whatever you want to call it, conflict. I mean, it, it's, there's, it's always going to be a strategy that certain states use to try to implement their goals. You're going to have terror. You're going to have terrorist attacks. And when yep. we, we're looking at this gigantic world of resources and of conflicts and the idea of uh, a, a time in the future where there's no war, no conflict. That's one of the most depressing things about being a person. Like there's no, uh, if you had a bet, it, what, what is the gamble? What are the odds that there's going to come a day where there's no war? I would say 0%. I mean, the most, the most accurate thing you could look at would be the rear view mirror on that. And right. I, I'm not an expert in humanity or, or the history of humans, but I don't think there has been a stretch of time in the history of humans where there not ha- has not been conflict or fighting, which at least escalated the war. Probably yeah. smaller scale as we were evolving and society was growing, but I can't think of a single period of time. No, I don't think there is. The only thing that I think would save us is alien intervention. Like, uh, do you or remember? all the fucking nukes would fly instantly as soon as that happened? We're all dead. Yeah, <laughs> we come back again in a hundred million years and see what what's left God. and what starts over again. Yeah, the real scary thing is like if all the nukes flew, it wouldn't just be all the people die. It would be so much life dies that whatever is left, the amount of time that it would take to evolve back into a position where we could have advanced intelligent life again. And I say we, with the, 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 
that's the loosest use of the word weight. With the molecule, yeah. molecules of your yeah. body that remain in the atmosphere yeah. somewhere? Yeah, yeah. it's we, not really going to be us. And what, what kind of life? I mean, the, if you go back and look at the history of Earth and life on Earth, you know, the Earth is, what, four point something billion years old, right? Probably depends on who you ask. And intelligent life is basically limited to the last couple of hundred thousand years. And out of that intelligent life is only one species that has the cap capability of space travel, um, you know, t electronics, uh, manipulating its environment. So just one. I mean, it could easily be that that one species didn't exist. Like there was that one, was it Indonesia? We've talked about this recently, where there was a, a super volcano eruption like 70,000 years ago that brought the entire human race down to a few thousand people. Really? Yeah. Just because of what the eruption did to the atmosphere yeah, and changed the, the living conditions? It, you know, it creates like a nuclear winter and essentially uh, wipes out, look at this. Toba. Yeah, Toba. So 75,000, well, it's in another language. So um, when what year was that? Uh, 75,000 years ago? Yeah. So <laughs> is that what it says? I don't know. Well, just Google the uh, Toba eruption in Indonesia, but it was a massive super volcano, and it, it brought the entire human race down to a very small number. Well, it could have killed us all, and if it did kill us all, there would literally be no humans. From yeah, Jimmy's right, 74,000 years ago. Yeah, there it is. I don't know what year that is. Does it say? That's... Wow, the volume compared to almost 3 million Empire State buildings. Holy fuck. Look at this. The explosion of the Toba supervolcano located on the modern island of Sumatra some 74,000 years ago was Earth's largest volcanic eruption in the past 28 million years. Parts of Indonesia, India, and the Indian Ocean were covered by 15 centimeters, six inches of volcanic debris, an estimated 1,700 cubic miles of rock, a volume co comparable to almost three million Empire State Buildings erupted, forming a crater lake visible even from space. <sighs> so that brought the entire human race down to a few thousand people. See if it says how many people in that article. How many? God, if How I could they even know? I mean, that would obviously be a wild I, estimate. I don't know. I think they did it based on the genome. Like, I think they they just tried to figure out like where people emanated from, and uh, that's a good question. It is a question. Oh, a few thousand survivors. Okay, here it is. Um, genetic evidence. There it is. Indicates a collapse in human population around seventy four thousand years ago, with all modern humans descending from a few thousand survivors. According to the Toba catastrophe theory, most humans in Europe and Asia didn't make it. As the climate and environment suddenly changed in the aftermath of the Toba eruption, and only a small group with a limited genetic variability survived by chance in Africa. But archaeological and paleoclimate records don't seem to fit this theory. Oh, well, what the fuck does that mean? Oh, Sounds like it was so long ago that nobody has a goddamn yeah. idea. Uh, but they do know that that super volcano did erupt and they do know that it almost wiped out the entire race And if that if that happened and it did kill everybody there'd be no people here So imagine all the shit that we have this is a, a blink of an eye ago 74,000 years ago in terms of the entire history of the earth That it didn't have to happen. So if we do nuke each other, this might be it like for all intelligent life ever 
That could be it. For our little marble. Yeah, well, Flying little, around in space. Our little marble is so delicate. <laughs> it's so, so are the people on it, so unfortunately. delicate. <laughs> They're all delicate. Speaking of delicate, how the yeah. hell are you doing managing all this uh, Spotify chatter? I'm great. That I'm hearing. You yeah. know what I appreciate? Well, what? actually, I'm not going to say I'm going to appreciate about the Spotify chatter. Very often when they post a picture of you when they're like yelling at you, mm. you're wearing that black cleared hot shirt. I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like 75% of the time. It's really? perfect. Yeah. You oh, wore to a UFC like weigh in or something oh. like that. And they pick that picture. All right, man. And I'm like, well, that's, it, that's cool. Yeah. I'm good with that. Yeah. Uh, it's been good. Stay offline, ignore it, and everything seems okay. There's nothing much I could do. You know, if I engaged with all of it, you know, I put out a video a couple of days ago. Yeah, I saw it. I thought it was good. Thank you. You know, other than that, not much I could do. I also think that people are smart enough to look at complex situations and come to their own conclusions. I, yeah. I dislike the idea of robbing people of their chance to make an educated choice or decision. I think so, too. I, I agree with that. And I think that when you're hearing it from people that are losing the information attend, attention game, like uh, the people like CNN, when they're calling for other networks or other shows or other programs to be censored or other programs to be limited, it's like, just do better. Like you guys should be better at what you're doing. More people should be paying attention to you than are. Like, why aren't they? Well, first of all, it's the format. Like, this this format of seven minutes or whatever it is, and then commercial. It's rough. You, you got it only an hour. You're only on TV at, you know, 6 p.m. at night to 7, and then there's another show at 7 to 8. It's like, that is antiquated. You can't, that, that old format is so limited. Obviously, there's nothing else they can do, right? They're on cable. This is what, they have a time slot. But that format of time slots it has a very hard time competing with the open-ended format of an internet streaming show. I'm assuming you've done like live TV interview, yeah. like remotely too, where you're staring at the blank lens and you oh, have terrible. The, and you have there's a delay. There's a delay, and you have approximately 30 seconds to unpack a very complicated yeah. subject. <laughs> also, like you, you're not, you don't feel comfortable staring at a fucking oh, it's the worst a camera like that. It's it's like everything is stacked against like normal discourse. Everything. Everything is stacked against you being comfortable. Those shows are just not good. And yeah. CNN has started to do, they're going to do a CNN Plus thing where they have like a uh, streaming um, like, like a app. Hmm. And I think you have to pay for it. I think, do you have to pay for CNN Plus? Yeah. Is it just yeah. additional content? They're going to have like talk shows. Like Don Lemon's going to have a talk show with an audience. They're going to they're gonna do shit like that. Fuck, when was the last time you watched a talk show? They're terrible. I mean, for me, it's measured in years, <coughs> maybe decades since I, I mean, watched I watch a talk Bill show. Maher. I watch that. Okay, I actually have watched some clips of that. God but that, but that's as um, <laughs> but that's as different. That's as close to being an internet show, you know, because it's on HBO, and yeah. so it's uncensored. You and can other swear. than his monologue, too, he's really having conversations with people at the table. Still yes. time constrained for sure, but they do jump all over each other, though. Like, it's yeah, the, in the, the you know, when you have. I, whenever I do a podcast with three people, it's hard. Like if it was you and one other guy there, it's difficult to get a flow, because like I know when you're about to say something and I back off, and you know I'm listening to you, and then I talk, and we're we're trying to like dance. When there's three people, it's harder to dance. When there's four people that you don't even know, and you know you have this limited amount of time, it's it's like, and people have these like. 
planned out rants that they want to go on and it's like ugh. and everyone's trying to go viral it's like ugh. it's hard yeah it's not good how would you pick the guest that would sit there on the opposing side of those arguments for like a, a peter mccullough mm -hmm. um you you'd be able to find them online there there's there's some very intelligent very bold doctors there's a guy named Vinay Prasad that I I actually tweeted one of his articles that was critical of uh, I think it was Malone it was Malone or McCullough I forget which guy it might, it might have been both but uh, he would work really well there's there's a, quite a few of these guys that are like really uh, highly educated doctors that have differing perspectives but they're more they're more fact-based than narrative based like because there's some certain people that are just they they follow whatever the projected narrative is like whatever the government's projecting whatever the the uh, cdc is projecting the world health Organization. They're, they're saying exactly what those people are saying yeah even when those things turn out to be incorrect right oh and then they seem to be unwilling to admit the error of their ways they're right. just in lockstep again it's people are afraid of not being able to identify with whatever their tribe may yeah. be that's a problem with people too with these with these networks is that they don't seem human because they don't admit when they're wrong and they don't admit when they're well when they're disseminating propaganda or where they're just bullshitting like with me with that whole horse dewormer thing like i like it, the filter that they put on you though it's really good it was hot maybe hot right it's like the color of the, like whatever's inside of that <laughs> green behind you like pasty <laughs> well, uh, they they did a fact check whatever those one of those news things that did a fact check they said it's incorrect like bullshit you can see it for yourself. Don't fucking lie. That's a lie. See, but the fact check is a lie. But what, yeah. who's who's fact checking the fact checkers? And who would who's paying the fact checkers? Like what? You're not unbiased. Like what are you doing? Like what is a fact check? <laughs> Says who? Yeah. Says you? How'd you come to that conclusion? If just that alone, that CNN didn't put a filter on my face, shut the fuck up. And when I put it up on my Instagram, like so many people were mad. Side by side comparison, if yeah. you will. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like so there. It's so obvious. It's such a dumb thing to do. Well, it's part of the problem, too, because if you consistently tell people that what they're seeing is not what they're seeing and what they're hearing is not what they're hearing. Yeah, that's gaslighting. Well, how often? So if you knew somebody, a friend of yours, who consistently just told you that, no, your eyes are wrong and your ears are wrong, how long would it be before you completely tune that person out? Yeah. And that's, I think, a lot of what's happening with. Both sides. I mean, I try to stay out of left and right arguments because I don't know if I've ever felt less represented by the representatives of our government right now. Yeah. I'm fucking lost in this middle ground. It's like, can I have a little bit on this side and also right. a little bit on this side? And there's also this lost art I people I wish people would accept. And that is the ability to not have a fucking opinion about something. You don't have to explode and be passionate about everything. Like, right. like space travel. Right. I don't know anything about space travel. I love the idea. But I'm not like calling you up, be like, "Hey, Joe, can you hook me up with the uh, Elon's digits? Because I really need to talk to him about the paint on the side of his rockets." Like, no, like I don't have an opinion on it. I like the idea of it, but I'm not going to be passionate. I think it's okay to be like that. Oh yeah, it should be. Yeah, there's a lot of subjects where you should be like that. Yeah, all of them for me, except for probably like three. I actually have an educated opinion on. Yeah, there's not a lot of subjects where I'll go stop. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. There's, MMA, there's I give you. You stop some people. I'll stop some people. <laughs> yeah, there's been a few times, a few notable. Well, because people talk crazy, and I'm like, listen, you can't talk crazy about this. Yeah. Like, and and I'm I am very passionate about defending MMA fighters, defending 
their their courage, defending what what is happening in an actual fight. You know, when when someone will say like, the, "Oh, they quit," or "They laid down," or "They didn't show up today," like, stop. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Like, do you, like, there's so much going on here. Get out there for 20 minutes yourself, buddy. Yeah. And can we talk for a second about Francis and Gano doing jujitsu? Isn't that wild? Whole. First off, I was scared of him before. Mm-hmm. Because if he hits you. You're going to die. Bro, his leg was destroyed going into that fight. He had a totally torn MCL. His ACL Are you serious? Fucked. Yeah, oh, he needs that surgery. Because he had... Uh, mm-hmm. Knee sleeves. <coughs> Somebody was asking he me about... surgery. That. Does the Does the opponent have to agree to let him wear those? No. No. Um, we were in California. And in California, it's legal to have knee sleeves on. There are some jurisdictions where they'll let you tape your ankles. Hmm. Some commissions... I'm going to cough again. <coughs> Some commissions will let you tape your ankles, some won't. It's like, there are, there's all sorts of different rules when it comes to MMA, unfortunately. There's like the unified rules of MMA, there's the, there's the changed unified rules that like, they've changed some of the parameters of like what constitutes a downed opponent, hmm. and then some places will let you tape your ankles, some places won't. It's like, there's a lot going on. He did the smart move though, both knees. Yeah, so you don't you know. Don't, yeah, you don't, you don't put tape on like, just two fingers mm-hmm. and you're like, I'm fine, no. Well, do you remember Sakuraba? Sakuraba. Sakuraba's knees were so fucked that he would tape all the way up, halfway up his thigh, where his <laughs> knees were like mummified. His How knee- much flexion and extension did he have? Very little? Very little, man. Yeah. When you would see Sakuraba when he fought, like especially later in his career, his knees were the craziest thing. See if you find a video of Sakuraba with his. Look oh his, my. Look Lord. how taped up his knees are. I mean, it's like halfway up his thigh and halfway down to his ankle. Dude, when Francis picked up that guy mid-kick and they mm-hmm. both left the ground oh, and yeah. he came down, Oh yeah. all I could think of in my head while watching that was imagining, like in a cartoon, the ghost of my body just floating <laughs> up. <laughs> I mean, what does he weigh? Well, he weighed in at 257. Which, but how tall is he? He's six five, oh my God. I believe. That's Dudley tall. Yeah, yeah, Dudley tall. Uh, that's the two oh of them slamming God. down to the ground. Then that's again where my ghost. Well, not yet. Look at the faces in the background. Look at that dude with his mouth open. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the girl too. The girl on the left, right yeah. underneath his knee. Oh yeah, right there. Every like, single oh. face. Everybody's like, holy shit. Yeah. Well, that was his best uh, option to win that fight, given the fact that he was injured. I had no idea that he was injured. Obviously, it was he wasn't, significant. He was wasn't talking sig- about that before, though, was he? Um, well, we a- knew about it. Okay, we had heard about it. There was a rumor going around. We had heard about it. Um, I had not talked to his coaches, so I didn't know exactly the extent of the injury. And I found out afterwards. And I actually connected uh, some, one of his coaches with uh, Ways to Well, which is a company that I use here in Austin for stem cells. But he had uh, significant tears in his knee. Like to the point where they were they were really considering not fighting. Oh damn! Yeah, but he I just, still fought. And he still won. It was beautiful. A man that size. Amen. So he weighed in at two fifty seven. What do you think he stepped in the ring at? Well, DC thinks he's about two seventy because he was so he looked so much bigger than Cyril Gone because Cyril Gone was two forty seven, which means Cyril Gone didn't have to lose any weight. He just but, he weighed in his walk around. Right, but Francis mm. oftentimes is over the two hundred sixty five pound limit. So when he goes to weigh in, like he'll just not eat very much like the day before. Dip under it. Dip under it and then weigh himself in. And then afterwards, he'll rehydrate and carb up. 
So the day of the fight, he looked massive. I mean, he was he was huge. Yeah, he looked huge. But he moved beautifully. Well, especially for a guy with a fucked knee. Yeah, I had no idea. I mean, you got you also have to take into consideration what what kind of an impact did that have on his training in terms of his cardio, like his cardio output. Like, what was he able to do, and you know how was that going to affect the way he fought and the pace that he was able to fight at. All I'll say is Francis Ngannou is one of the best arguments for carrying a gun on the face <laughs> of the planet. Because if you run into that dude in an alleyway, you're going to die. Yeah, you're not You're not going to hurt him. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, Stipe landed some big shots on him and no. didn't even ding him. That's why tools exist. Sometimes yeah. you need to... You need to have tools. Yeah. What's interesting is that guy evolving his game and then incorporating wrestling and incorporating jujitsu. And uh, I'm, I'm really curious to see what he decides to do in the future. If he decides to box or if he decides to stay with the UFC. Because part of me wants to see him, um, I want to see him box. I mean, I don't want to see him box because uh, I don't love seeing him fight in MMA. I love seeing him fight in MMA. But I want to see him box because... I want to see him get a giant chunk of money, like like a Conor McGregor style Floyd Mayweather chunk of money. Because when Conor fought Floyd Mayweather, he made a hundred million dollars. That's, that's I don't believe that's bad for an evening's work. I think that's nice. <laughs> I would love to see that. Like if if you know if he fought Tyson Fury, how much money would they be able to get? I know nothing about crazy. that world. Do you think they'd be able to demand that much? I don't know. Is I mean, it off the pay-per-view or what they could sell yeah, it as? Yeah, it's off the pay-per-view. It's off what they could sell. I mean, obviously, you'd have to, it would have to be very marketable. And Tyson Fury is very marketable. And Francis Ngannou is very marketable. Especially him as a UFC heavyweight champion going up to fight in boxing. And it would be weird to see Tyson Fury like a legit five inches taller than Francis Ngannou. Because that's what he what? would be. Oh, yeah. Tyson Fury is 6'9". <clears throat> I think uh, Francis is six uh, four or six five. I'm not sure. So, what, how tall is Francis? Is he six four or six five? But uh, the big fight in MMA is John Jones. So if uh, they does could, he fight at that same weight? John Jones is fighting heavyweight now. Is there a weight class above the two sixty five? There is, but the UFC has never implemented it. It's, it's just not super heavyweight. There's just not boys out there big enough to... I mean, I guess there's probably a few, but there's not enough where they felt the need to have a over 265-pound weight class. It is kind of weird, though, that there's a weight limit on heavyweight. Huh. Because <clears throat> you would think like heavyweight would just like be the biggest person you had. That's what I figured. I figured at that level, it was like kind of come as you are. I mean, it could be one day. There, you know, One day there could be a guy who is so compelling... Like maybe there's some like gigantic Greco Roman wrestler like Corellin. Like Corellin in his prime, I think, was like two hundred and ninety pounds, something bigger than that. Yeah. If you did have a guy that big that was marketable, I could see the UFC implementing a super heavyweight division. But it's available. I mean, it's something that the commissions have uh, sanctioned. Hmm. What were you doing out at the old John Wick Academy recently? Just learning how to shoot people. Were you though? Was I? I'm asking you. I don't know. What were you up to? You seem to be shooting as fast as humanly possible. I'm shooting um, targets. Bang, 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 bang. Yeah, I know. Yeah. All Learning. right. Okay. What do, what do you, why are you asking me that way? <laughs> Every time I see somebody post a video from there, they're shooting as fast as humanly possible, which yes. there's nothing wrong with that, but accuracy is final, not speed. Yes. Yeah. No, he loves making videos. Like yeah. uh, Taron from Taron Tactical. Taren That's Butler. what it's called. I couldn't remember. Yeah. 
he likes making these videos of you running through these courses and implementing proper technique with speed and timing you. Yeah, it's not the best way to be accurate. Yeah, but, I'm just curious. But you do accuracy stuff too. But when he makes videos, he wants to make these videos very fun. Yeah, like for people to look at. I've never been That's there. Why. I was just curious. I saw you out there just running and gunning full yeah. speed. Yeah, I see you and Callan out there. Yeah, Callan goes out there all the time. He sucks at shooting. <laughs> I tell him that. I post, <clears throat> I have that tactical asshole page, and he's just the cashmere cunt because he's always uh, out there in a cashmere shirt shooting a fucking pistol carbine, which again is like an MP5. Right. It's, it's like, make your mind up. You know, mm -hmm. it's, yeah. I've, uh, like I said, I've never been there. It's uh, shooting videos online. I was just trying to figure out what you guys are up to. Well, a lot of what they do is those those competitions, you know, yep. where they run a course. Yep, shot timer courses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he's really into that. And he's really into training people for films, you know. So, like, he trained Keanu Reeves famously and Halle Berry and yep. a lot of other people for films. And Kevin Hart's been there and a bunch of other, you know, uh, uh, Michael P. Jordan's been there. Michael B. Jordan. B, right? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. You know, the guy from... Um, um, well, Creed, he's been in everything. But those people that want to learn how to look like Billy Badass, they go to Terran Tactical. All right. Fair enough. You can mock it. Go I'm ahead. not trying to mock you it. You got a smile. I have a there's a mocking I, smile. I know you, Andy Stump. Because I'm thinking of Brian. Oh. <laughs> so why does Brian suck? Tell me why Brian sucks at <clears throat> I would have to go back and look at some of the videos that he is willingly posting, so I feel I have full license to mock. What's wrong with the way he does it? Um, How much more does he suck than me? I have to do a side-by-side -side comparison. You post less videos than he does. Mm, is that the problem? Um, he gives you too much to study. It's really hard to tell. I mean, the only thing you can really tell on the videos is how, you know, stance, grip, how you're managing your reach coil, and how you're controlling your trigger. Mm -hmm. He does all of those poorly. <laughs> and I would say that to him if he was sitting right here. What do I do wrong? I'd have to look at him again. I'm not necessarily saying you're doing anything wrong. That's why I was asking you what, what you're doing out there. So we would do speed runs all the time. Don't uh -huh. get me wrong. The number one tool to get somebody to unwind on a pistol range is that fucking shot timer. Mm -hmm. I have watched guys who are so incredibly competent shooting, and you get them into a competition setting, and they're, right. they're just like, eh, and they're just they're like putting magazines in their pistols backwards, which is amazing. Right. I totally support it. Psst. Dropping shit. I mean, it's you know, dead man guns where you're presenting. Yeah. And, there's Callan. Oh, no. I don't have a problem with what he's doing here. I think you're wrong. That's fair. I mean, let's just look at the flared <laughs> elbows. Let's look at the bunny hop. Let's look at how his hands are so <clears throat> in instead of actually having an extended you know, grip on that. He's also- Look at that old man neck he's got. Oof. I know. He's got an old man neck. The back of his neck looks like a fucking old catcher's mitt. Still on fire, just looking around, still on fire. I don't know why he keeps dropping the gun and doing that. What is yeah. that about? I'm not sure there. Oh, Josh Barnett. Yeah. Chris D'Elia. Yeah, he, uh, Taryn loves, like, making videos. And yeah. Stuff, but that's part of his business model. I wasn't knocking right? it. I, what I was, I was knocking Brian, not necessarily the school. I was just curious. Like, I'd be happy for you to knock it. I, I like when you knock things. I'd have to go through it to actually be able to, uh, oh, here we go. There's, uh-oh. Jamie, can you go back just a sec to the very, very beginning? To watch me with my elbow out? No, I want to see if you have your American flag oriented properly. You do. Good job. Oh, and the, and the yes. ear? One of the most cards? common mistakes ever. Yep. Really? Yep. Stars always lead the way. Uh, okay. 
How far away do those targets? I don't know. I'm not measuring. How far do they look to you? Five to seven yards. Um, probably something like that. What are you looking at when you're pulling the trigger? What am I looking at? Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the iron sights, the the you know the two things lining up, the yep. front, the front and, and rear sight. Yeah. Which one's in focus? I'm looking at the the rear. I'm trying should be to the like, front. Should the be front sight focus only. Oh, I mean, I don't mean the rear. I mean the one the furthest away. Yeah. So that's correct. Yeah. yeah. The front one. Yep. If you're using an Not iron, the one near me. That would I'm be look, the rear. Yeah. The fork. I'm looking at the the reticle, the one that has the like yep. the little dot. And that's in focus, and things behind it are blurry. Yes. That is. Completely correct. So that's that how I do good. it. Yep. Now, I was using a red dot for a while, but mm-hmm. I kind of, fu- I, one time I went there and it fucked up on me. And I was like, ooh, that's not good. You should be able to find a red dot site that allows you to co witness. And what that means is, yes. Yeah. And so that way, and even if it fucks up, you even still if have it fucks it. up. And for people who carry every day, like I have a red dot on the gun that I carry. When I practice or if I were ever to draw down, I am expecting to be looking at the iron sights because if I can line that up appropriately, the red dot's going to be right there. Right. So I'm not searching for the red dot first and hoping that it's there. You start with the irons and then you can just lift or shift your uh, focus point. Mm. Red dots are awesome. In my experience, they can make people a little bit snappy and uh, they can start anticipating the shot because it's just that red dot right there. Right. And they're like, now, now. And the number one thing for a right-handed shooter is shooting down and to the left because you're just anticipating and driving Mm. it down. Isn't there a thing that's very similar to archery in that you you kind of want the gun to go off in a surprise way? You don't want to, like, anticipate the recoil and yank. In a perfect world, I would say yes. That would be... Uh, especially when it comes to long distance marksmanship, like you're behind a sniper rifle and you want to make a really long shot, there's mm-hmm. no room for anticipation. That should apply to both a carbine and a pistol. But here's the reality, right? If it's between me and you, I'm not going to line, like if we're this distance, I'm not even going to bother aiming. Right. I'm going to point my thumbs at you and pull the trigger as many times until the target right. or the threat is no longer a threat. So in theory, yes, but the situation is going to dictate how much you're actually going to need to do that in practice. But in learning it, that that should always be the way that you practice it because then you can increase your speed with that. And then it'll allow you to, as you, you know, as you try to go faster and faster or the targets are closer and closer, you can deviate from that just a little bit. I mean, you, you don't need a surprise break for something that's three to five yards away. Yeah. Um, so you're dealing with something, if, if you're talking about a surprise break, you're just looking for like optimal technique Yep. So to define a surprise break, I'm not saying the rifle or pistol surprises you. They're like, oh my God, it went off. No, you're, right. you're pulling the trigger. It's the same as a silverback, put it into archery mm-hmm. terms, right? You're pulling, you're pulling, you're pulling, you know, because your thumb's off the safety, you know, you know it's, it's going to go, go off, but you don't know exactly Correct. When. So you, what are you focusing on? Your sight picture. And you just let it float. And when it goes off, it goes off. That would be the perfect execution of uh, a trigger pull or a trigger press. Um, and again, the farther the distance... You know, the more you need to have that. Take a thousand yard shot and you get a little anticipation. I mean, you yeah. ain't gonna hit shit. Yeah, I remember watching the Tim Kennedy video and he was uh, shooting on a, a pistol range and he would insert dummy rounds. Yep. It is very yeah. telling because what ends up happening with speed, it's like boom, 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 click. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh yeah. That only happens when there's a dummy round. It's like, no, no, that happens every time you're shooting, you're compensating for your shitty technique. Right, right, right. It should be smooth, and then you go through your emergency procedures, and then you're back up and running. Well, that was the thing in the video. He was, in the video, he was he had it on Instagram where he was pumped because he pulled the trigger, and like literally his hand didn't move at all. And he was like, whoa. That's, that would be 
perfect theory and practice. That shit yeah. never happens with me. I anticipate the shit out of it. Do you? Depending on the distance. How often do you practice today? Uh, well, in the winter months in Montana, where it was three degrees when I left this morning. Three. Three degrees. Three balmy degrees. I was I was actually still rocking flip flops well into December. So Were I was proud you really? of really? Oh fuck yeah. Wow. You gotta wait till there's like a foot of snow on the ground and then you can transition over. Um when it's not the winter, I can shoot at my house. So I will Oh I, in your backyard? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My nearest neighbor is about 60 acres away. Oh, wow. So I have, um, I can sight in rifles. I don't do a lot of long distance shooting there, but I have some pistol targets right there. So I will a couple times per week. And the thing is, it's not, it's not necessarily the volume. I would say it's the quality. Um, for the last year, I don't know if you guys felt this down here, the ammo shortage was real. Yeah. I would go to the sporting goods stores and there were people in line to buy like nine mil. It's seven o'clock in the morning. Do you think that is because so many people were buying ammo that the ammo manufacturers just couldn't keep up because of the pandemic? Because people yeah. really did freak out like during the protests and the riots. I think it was just like toilet paper. <clears throat> I think there was always enough stuff around to wipe your ass with, but when somebody goes to Costco and buys a semi-truck full, it limits the amount that everybody else can get. So if everybody had bought perhaps a reasonable amount, which is what happened where I live is they started limiting how many boxes you could buy because people would just come in, right, and they're just sweeping into a cart. Right. There, it, well, there was an increase. You can tell that just by looking at the number of um, firearms applications. You know, you have to do the background check and all that. Those those numbers increase. So if there's new gun owners, they're going to be buying more ammunition. But I think the scarcity was largely artificial just due to people wildly buying probably too much. Well, I remember during the lockdowns when, when there was giant lines outside the gun stores in L.A. I was yeah. like, wow. Like driving by and seeing a long line outside of a gun store was so bizarre and was spooky to people because all these people that are used to driving by that gun store and seeing nothing and now yeah. all of a you now sort of signals to you, shit, maybe I should get in there and get a gun. Yeah. Maybe so I should get some ammo. It could be an artificial scarcity. Also, people buy guns. You know, Exercise your Second Amendment right if you want to. It's better to have the gun before you need it than be standing out in line for a 10-day wait period. Oh, yeah. You know, so, but again, people make a choice on that. But the ammo shortage will make people not want to train. And you can actually do right. the vast majority of the training without actually firing around. For people who conceal carry, you know, indexing, you know, clearing fabric out of the way, practicing your draw, everything, the execution magazine changes. You can have an awesome day of training. And de obviously, it depends on the experience level that you have. I could I could do like an hour's training and actually get a lot out of it with somewhere probably between twenty to thirty rounds. Mm. Because I can do a lot of it dry fire, or what I'll do is I'll do one round in each magazine if I'm working manipulation or reloads, so I'm not shooting an entire magazine full. I'm focusing on the actual motor skills themselves. Mm. So there's ways you can get around it, but people are like, Oh, I don't have ammo, I can't train. That's it's the wrong mentality. Have you ever used one of those simulators? No, but I think I know what you're talking about. We just got one, and I, I got to remember to bring it in, but it's like a virtual reality simulator, and uh, Jordan Peterson's uh, security guy, Dave, gave it to me. We haven't set it up yet. Like a video with people running around and stuff? Well, you, yeah, you put a helmet on, and you know- you have Like a, VR goggles? Yeah, complete VR goggles, and you have a, a weighted uh, you know, gun. Firearm repl yeah. replica, probably? Right, and it it's synced up to this- system and it's specifically designed to train you 
for you know encounters with guns obviously there's no recoil mm. but other than that it has heft to it like a real gun is it situational based training like use of force go no go stuff i believe so i don't know i think there's a there's a lot of different programs that you can run i think it's there's more than one and i i think it's designed for law enforcement tactical people like the the, the idea is to have an environment virtual that where you can practice where you you don't even need a range so you can you'll yeah. squeeze off shots and it'll show you it'll register where your actual aim would be did you ever use my um that uh techno hunt thing in my studio do you mm -hmm. remember that i remember but I, yeah. I i know where it was but i never used it we're getting one over here too of course you are but of course we're <laughs> but that was what was interesting about that is like you're shooting a real arrow at a real target and it yeah. shows you the actual impact point. Terran Tactical has this laser setup thing where you have a screen and you have a gun that feels like a real gun, mm -hmm. but there's obviously no recoil, but you, when you're looking through the sights, it has iron sights, and when you're looking through the sights and you peel off, it registers on the screen. Where your by, shot would be. Yeah, some kind of a laser beam or something like that, exactly where you're hitting. So that's better than nothing. Anything is better than nothing. Anything is better than somebody buying a gun and loading it up and having no actual idea how to use it. Yeah. And carrying it around. There's a lot of people out there doing that too. There's a lot of people who confuse what guns are actually capable of doing. And they yeah. think that the possession of a gun somehow equates to their safety and that's not the case. Right. So. It's true. Did you see that fucking video? of the guy in a car, in a road rage yeah, situation. shooting out of the car. Shooting right through his fucking side window and yeah. then through his windshield. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Um, I, I mean, I don't, I don't have the words to describe that. That is the, in my opinion, which counts for absolutely nothing, um, videos like that are why people will go on crusades to try to strip the Second Amendment or limit people's ability to own a gun. That is completely and utterly irresponsible usage of that tool, in my opinion, which, like I said, doesn't count for shit. He said, I think that the other guy pulled the gun first or the other guy shot first. Here's the video because it's so crazy. <clears throat> so they're playing stupid games and winning a stupid prize. So, so this, and this engagement, like even right here, like from a situational awareness perspective, the guy's pissed off, dude. Fucking disengage. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Why chase the guy down in the car? Well, the guy is chasing him. Apparently, the guy's riding his ass and chasing him. And so here you see, because I haven't seen it before like this. So he's got to use his thumb to press the button to yeah. get the fucking gun out. Which this actually, is, that that might be a requirement of whatever state he's in. But that's not a bad idea, you know, to have right. something like that. But meanwhile, he didn't even roll his window down. This is what's so crazy about this fucking guy. And he has one in the chamber already, apparently. And this guy is just totally riding his ass. And the fact that he immediately goes to shoot out the window. Look, look at this. Holy. First off, he gets an F for technique. Emptied his whole clip, too. Joe. F. Do not say the word clip again. No? It's a magazine. Magazine. <laughs> But the rappers, they say clip. Yeah, it's, so it looks like the guy, does he have a gun? He's got his arm out the window for sure. He has an arm out, who knows? It could be a gesture. It could be, yeah. I mean, I've been known to stick my arm out the window to hand signal people before. And he immediately just starts shooting at him. Yeah. I mean, we don't know. Like, maybe the guy did have a gun. Hold on, let me. Imagine just shooting through your windshield like that, too. Like, look at this. I mean, I've done it. 
not in this situation, but I mean, he's not even he's not even no. looking. Holy cow! So I mean, there's a lot of things here. Think about every. So I would be curious to hear. Jamie, does it say how many times he struck the other person's vehicle? What is it? Does it say right there? He tells his side of the story. <laughs> Can we see him get interviewed? <clears throat> I was in fear of my life 1,000%, he said. I thought I was going to be shot and probably killed. Okay. Interesting. Oh, so, so he, he threw a bottle of water at the side of his car. He said he thought so, he was being fired upon. Okay, the incident in question happened in June in Miami, blah, blah, blah. When I hear a very yeah, loud no noise, and I've heard gunshots, to me it sounded like a gunshot. I didn't want to see if I was going to be killed. According to the arrest report, uh, he changed lanes and cut off another driver. That driver identified as blah, 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 began to tailgate him, according to police. He then slammed on his brakes. Police said then the guy threw a water bottle at the passenger window of his car, but he didn't know what it was at the time, and he thought he was being fired upon. I did what I instinctively felt was necessary. Authorities said 11 shots were fired, but no injuries were reported. When they called stand your ground, whether you call it self-defense, he said Mr. Popper is not only not guilty, he is innocent and justified, said his attorney. Oh, boy. Well, the legal system will figure that out, right? So yeah. from the perspective of the video, right? So 11 shots fired. Like there's so much stuff going on in that video, like backdrop as an example. For the rounds that didn't hit the other dude's car. Where are they going? Where did they go? Right. Shooting they through, other people. Shooting through glass. Yeah. Um, it, it works. Again, so I'm going to get – that looked like a, a subcompact 9-millimeter pistol. That will go through glass for sure. But it doesn't like if you shoot through, you're better off shooting at a distance into glass as opposed to shooting through glass at a close distance and having it ricochet out. All over the place, right? All over the place. You could tell. And the backdrop is the biggest thing. Like every one of those rounds is going to find a home somewhere. And that is exactly, and again, the legal system can work out whether or not the guy's innocent or guilty. Not that I don't have an issue with that. But the <sighs> discharging a firearm like that on the road, you're out of your fucking mind. And that is exactly the type of video that people will point to to try to strip those things away. Yeah. And having a round in the chamber, opinions may vary on this. I would say if you're going to carry a gun and you don't feel comfortable having a round in the chamber, you may want to consider not carrying. Mm. Um, an unloaded gun has the same effective distance as a claw hammer. And gross motor skills very often are going to be the first things that degrade in a violent confrontation. So depending on how you have it carried, um, let's say you're an appendix carrier, you're going to have to get that thing out, load around into the chamber, and then index your target. There, there's a lot of steps involved in that. Um, guns don't just actively – they don't just go off on their own. So it, to me, when people are not comfortable with carrying with a round in the chamber, oftentimes it's, it's, it's oftentimes based in kind of a lack of understanding of how a firearm actually functions. Mm-hmm. When you're shooting through a windshield like that, how much of the impact, how, I mean, what How much of the kinetic yeah. energy bleeds off? A lot. Yeah. And, but the biggest thing is, is it changes the angle drastically. Right. Like I said, you're better off shooting back into the glass because your target is- From is, a distance. 
I mean, even close up, you, the target that you're shooting at isn't very far past the glass. Right. He's reversing that. Mm. He's shooting through glass at a target that is increasing the distance. Like, yeah. good luck. Yeah. I'm going to assume that happened in Florida. It is Florida, right? Yeah, Miami. <laughs> 7 a.m. 7 a.m.? Mm-hmm. Oh, fuck. Oh, my God. Yeah, he says on his way to work. Wow. Yeah. 95. 95. Jesus Christ. No freeway. Guns are a tool. You know, they're a, they're a tool designed to take life, though, and people get really, really twitchy when you define them like that because they feel like if you are if you say that, then that somehow creates an argument for restricting them, and I think it's a disingenuous thing to say. They are a tool that is designed to take life. It can be used to preserve and save life for sure, but they should be treated like that tool, and that to me is like as irresponsible as it gets. It didn't look responsible. Yeah. But it's... It, there's another video that I saw once where it, a similar situation happens on a highway and it's a similar angle and this guy is on a highway and there's someone in the passenger seat next to him and he just starts shooting through his windshield at this car on the highway and you see the guy in the passenger seat like like freaking the fuck out because this dude is just unloading through his windshield. Yeah. Yeah, that's not the move. <laughs> at all. No. No, it's no, not. No, the move is to decelerate like get out of there decelerate, de-escalate. de-escalate like all I mean, there was get out of there there was 20 seconds of that building up actually yeah. probably even more of it of you could tell he was agitated you could tell he was involved oh Holy. there's more videos yeah so i was just looking in the news the the nbc report said they had four different angles it's really it's really hard to tell what's going on in them just as i hit play so can, other people's cars got yeah, video they're right it? here where are they at jamie they're right on that video right is, there in the, the bottom right corner they're the two cars here, so like they're in the same lane. Oh my god! Oh, so the guy literally got in the same lane with him. Yes, yeah, so yeah. there was something going on, but I don't. If he fired a gun first, you can't tell. About <sighs> oh, that guy got so close to him. He really did some dangerous driving there too. Fuck, man! And then he pulled over and said, "You know, he called nine one one, according to this report, and said that I just I was shot at and I fired back." So he thought he was shot at because the guy threw a water bottle at him, right? That's what he says. But then the even the, I think this is, yeah, this is the yeah. sheriff saying this. Average person doesn't just say, let me prepare my firearm, let me back up my seat, let me get a little bit of space. That's according to the sheriff. Yeah, and that's the beauty of having the legal system. Yeah. They get they get to figure all that stuff out. And I'm, I'm actually shocked that this footage exists. Um, I'm sure it will be dissected ad mm. nauseum inside of his court proceeding. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. So, Joe, don't do that. Don't do that. I swear to God, if yeah. I ever see a video of you doing that, you know who I would see? I could see Callan doing that. You think that's what he'd do? He would probably have blanks in his gun for some reason, though. Callan is not a guy that would uh, get into an escalated situation with his car. It's true. I actually have talked a lot of shit about him. He's one of my favorite people. He's awesome. He's fantastic. Well, now you're turning it around. Now you're back. No, he's now just super dangerous with a gun. Super dangerous. <laughs> I love him except for when he has a gun in his hand. And he also has a penchant for wearing scarves for no reason. You don't like scarves. We saw that from the Charlie Sheen video. That one just didn't make sense. I, the Charlie Sheen there's scarf? One, there's pictures of me wearing those overseas too. But I was actually wrapping my face to cover the dust up. Yeah, that's the, is that the reason for those things? But isn't yeah. it like guys wear them on the range to, like, to keep brass from falling into their collar? People will tell you. They that's wear not, them on the range for that's that. Not what the they're real. doing is they're aiming for the tactical chic look. That's ah, more of an Instagram thing look. than a tactical thing. The tactical look. Yeah. The uh, yeah. cargo pants fashion. at all times. Yeah. Tactical fashion. <laughs> There's there is a, a very distinct look 
yes. that a lot of people like enjoy. I was just at the SHOT Show in Vegas. Oh, boy. Where you have seen yourself where that look is... Actually, I think it's required to attend. I have to take a piss, but I don't want to stop. So let's <laughs> let's take a piss real quick, and we'll come back. Okay. I drank a lot of coffee. <laughs> Be right back. We up? Okay, I'm back. Thank you for indulging me. So much urine. Why you in pee? <laughs> <laughs> so we were talking about uh, people dressing the part. Tactical assholes yeah. is the uh, proper terminology yeah. for it. Yes. When uh, did that start happening? Oh, that's a good question. It started happening much broader than military personnel on base. I would say post 9-11. Post 9-11? Yeah. Really? I, well, I'm sure it was happening to a small degree before then, but it kind of exploded afterwards, I would say. Mm. Maybe with the creation of multicam, the pattern that many people will wear on everything from flip-flops to hats to backpacks to Speedos, shorts, shirts, fill in the blank. And so once people started wearing it like as fashion... Is that because like, chic. Was camo worn as fashion before 9-11? Must have been, right? To a very limited degree, I believe. And then it became, it got ramped up. Correct. That would be my suspicion. Mm. I have absolutely no data to support this. Right. Well, there's some, some camo looks cool. Some like camo does look that cool. That tiger stripe camo, that looks pretty dope. Tiger stripe is one of my favorite patterns. The old Mac VSOG Vietnam Tiger Stripe. Have you seen the new Origin pattern? Briefly, yes. Jamie, go to Origin's uh, page and see there. Or you go to Cam Haynes's page. He's got it up on his page. This is the new uh, Jocko's coming out with an all-American-made hunt line. Tiger Stripe's the way to go. Yeah. It looks Tiger Stripey. It's pretty dope. It's it's a, it's a It's like, to me, it's like, I, I always liked the Under Armour. Ridge Reaper pattern, and I always liked the Tiger Stripe pattern, the like the old school. Yeah, and this is kind of like a combination of the two of those things. Find it on Cam's page. I couldn't. I don't mean. He's got pictures, but not. not Isn't there like a photo, says, a specific photo of the? That's the shirt right there on the right. That is the with shirt the red right shoes there on the right. But I think if you scroll down, there's a. He just that's, that's the pants. that's a pair of pants. That's yeah. The pants. Yeah, that's it. That's pretty nice. It's like always that. tough to tell for me with camo until you see it in person. Right. And get it in your hand and then also take it out into the environment. Yeah. That's it right there. Yeah, I mean, like, what? what does a deer see? What does an elk see? Like, uh, what makes a camo work and not work? It's like the idea is, like, you want to break up the outline because they recognize movement, right? That's my understanding, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's isn't it a little – I mean, they're looking at the rods and cones in their eyes. I mean, how the fuck do you ask an elk, like, know? hey, man, can you see this? And they're like yeah. – some of it seems to work good, like the Sitka pattern works really good. I've had the craziest animal encounters with the Sitka pattern. As um, actually, I think I've only hunted in the Sitka pattern. So, but it's it's been bizarre. Like you could see an animal look at you, and then an animal look through you, and then just continue on with their yeah, day. Yeah, like what am I seeing? Yeah, but some animals, like have you ever got busted by a white-tailed deer? Uh, yeah, they seem a lot smarter. I don't know if they're smarter or they're, they're twitchier. They're fucking tuned in. Yeah, but I then, think they seem to know when hunting season's going on. I think they all know when hunting season's going on, except for the Axis deer and Lanai, because <laughs> it never stops. And they're just like, yeah. fuck it, this is my life. Right. That Well, they're, <laughs> they're the most switched-on animals of all time, though. But I don't know if that's tied to intelligence. I think whitetails right. are just a little bit more switched-on than, say, 
Well, I don't know. I don't know if muleys are less switched. Their, their behavior is different. And I've only been hunting for a few years, so yeah. please, everybody, take what I say as a grain of salt. I well, I think about. elk are so big that they don't have to be as switched on as, like, say, uh, like a deer. I think deer are so hunted by, like, mountain lions and wolves and what have you, they have to be most switched on. Like, uh, have you have you encountered a mountain lion in the wild yet? No, and I don't look forward to the day that I do. I saw a giant one this past season. Out of the Deseret, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> With my friend Colton. We were in Colton's truck, and we saw this cat that had to be a buck 70 plus. It was huge, and he was only about 30 yards away, so I got a real close look at him. And we were in the truck, so I pulled my binos up. I got right up on his ass. Looking in his eyes, look at the size of him. Oh my God, he was huge. My neighbor hunts cats, and he's sent me pictures of around our area of up, them up in the trees. Because even the years he doesn't have a tag, I believe you can run them so he can train his dogs. Wow. So they're around, but I think they probably see me likely long before I see them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They see, but the problem is if they see you and they're hungry and they can't get a deer. Shoot him in the face. Yeah. Well, did you see that one? Did <laughs> I you see did. That video. That video is crazy. I yeah. don't know if I would have waited that long. Yeah. I guess that guy was being a good dude. That cat was close as fuck, though. It was close, and I give it to that guy. He was uh, he was giving that cat every opportunity to make a decision that would have extended his life. It looked like a juvenile cat, though, like a Probably. young cat that just like trying to figure out if that's a meal or not. I am going to remove that opportunity for him to make that decision. Yeah. That's just me, though. <laughs> yeah. The one that we saw, man, was so big. It, like, you, uh, I felt so vulnerable looking at it, even though it was, like, 30 yards away and I was inside of a truck. Yeah. The feeling of, like, complete physical inadequacy. Like, if that thing wanted to get you, like, what it could do to you. Because you ever, like, have a thing with a house cat? Like a, a problem with a house cat, like we trying to corral them. I had a feral cat. I'm not a I, cat person. I know I you raised. are. I love animals, but I had a cat that I raised, and he was feral. Like my friend Lainey and her boyfriend had found these cats under a, a, a apartment building, and she was trying to give the kittens a home, and <laughs> this fucking cat was wild as shit. It was a little baby, and when I would pick it up, it would purr, but as soon as I put it down, it would be like, <laughs> thing was crazy. Anyway. Uh, cut to cats piss in your house like and male cats you have to fix if you don't fix them They spray on your walls and this motherfucker started spraying on my walls spray like, piss spray piss All right to mark the house to, like to let everybody know this is their house Like and you can't get them to not do it if they are male They're gonna spray in your house either. They're gonna be an outdoor cat or they're gonna spray in your fucking house so uh, I had to figure out a way <laughs> to get this cat um, to the vet and he did not want to go into a cage. That was not happening. So uh, he realized I was trying to get him in a cage, and he's like, <laughs> like fighting with me and shit. So I eventually had to corner him in a bathroom, and then I had to throw a bathrobe over him, and like like a towel or a bathrobe, I forget what it was, but something big over him, scoop him up in this and wrestle him into a, a hamper. Then I got him in a hamper, and I duct taped the hamper shut. And then I took the hamper with this fucking cat this feral cat to this veterinarian who was a friend of mine and he fixed the cat and then we brought him back but was he better after you brought him back yeah he stopped he stopped pissing in the house like that he how long did you spraying. have him for i had him until my dog killed him he he got feisty with my dog 
And my dog was like, that's a wrap, son. Cats and dogs will yeah. do cats and dog shit. Well, it was like, he just fucked up. He, you know, he... You love animals more than me. I love animals, but I don't like cats. They're assholes. I like cats, but I love dogs. Dogs are my favorite. Because dogs are just so interactive. Like, you can talk to them, and they commu- they're they like, they they're into you communicating with them. Like, my dog will understand, like, come on, bro, let's go outside. And he knows what that means. And he starts heading towards the door. Yeah. The happiest dog on the face of the planet. He's the best. Yeah. But I can say things to him, like, are you ready to eat or what? And like, fuck yeah, let's eat. Like, he, he gets language. It doesn't have to be very clear and specific he knows what i'm saying i'm like come on man let's go outside like i can say that and he knows he's running towards the door like he's he's tuned into me a cat is just never you're never gonna have that kind of relationship with a cat have you ever considered the cats just ignoring you because they think that you're beneath them that's possible (laughs) that's totally possible (laughs) they understand every goddamn thing that you're saying they're like fuck you human my my point was uh i had a hard time wrestling that little fucking cat into a, a hamper Imagine. Oh, yeah. Add 150 pounds to that? Yeah. No. Ima- a lot more than 150 because that little fucking cat was like eight pounds. You know, that goddamn mountain lion was a buck 70 if it was a pound. It was so big, man. His forearms were so big. I remember looking at his forearms because he was like looking at us like this, and his forearms were like twice the size of mine, like two of my forearms back to each other with these massive paws and his pumpkin head. I'm good with never seeing something like that, oh. knowing that they're out there, but I, I don't think my life would be enriched. How big was this one? Oh, that's a bobcat. They're not that big. Have you seen this video? Yeah, it tears the ducks up. Look or a this. duck. I love this video because mm-hmm. he's so clever. Look at his little sneaky fuck. Quality stock, too. Oh, yeah, man. Look how low he gets and everything. Sneaking up in a, in a sand trap. That's a sand trap, right, Jamie? Indeed. Jamie's a golfer. Look at this little fucker. He's like, I'm going to make my mouth oh. now. <laughs> Bam, I got one. That's all he needs to get is one. Yeah. And he's got him. Cats are savage. Oh, oh nice. Man. Yeah. Imagine playing golf and watching that play out. Well, that's just one of the many savage encounters that happens on a golf course. The big ones in Florida, those goddamn alligators that walk across. Yeah, or people that go try to retrieve their golf ball out of the water hazard. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, let that go, son. I, Jamie, what does a golf ball cost? Maybe forty-five cents. Well, those the ones people are going after cost about five bucks. But even still, yeah. But what does a prosthetic a, hand cost? That's not the, you do know? they really go after a, a golf ball in the water? Joe, Fuck yeah. There are people that yeah, scuba dive. Back, man. What yeah. are you talking about? There are people <laughs> that <laughs> scuba dive in there to collect them. Oh yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, they like they get free golf balls. Mm-hmm. Explain that to me. So if the ball goes in the water. You get a stroke back? What does that well, if you even could, mean? If you could play it, which is you probably can't hit it through the fucking water, but there are times you can because it's not deep enough. <laughs> like hitting it in the water, it's a penalty. So you get a right. stroke. Yeah, that, that, that could fuck up a lot of things if you're playing for money. So, oh. And then people are also a little bit of drunk. Uh, but wait a minute. If it's in the water, you can't play it from the water. You can, though. Depends. You, what? If it's in, say, an inch to two inches of water, I've seen people hack try. it out. Oh, yeah, and people. They, everybody, when you're out there, you think you're Tiger Woods, or you, you're living out that dream, and that's yeah. your one time this week to try it. So like, fuck it, I'm, I can do that too. And you what happens it on TV is, and then oh. you try it. All that happens is they get completely, utterly covered in water from their club striking it, oh. and then the ball is still in there. And then I think they have to take another stroke because they attempted it, right, Jamie? Yeah, if you take, if you take any stroke purposefully, <laughs> if you swing at it purposefully, yeah. it's a stroke. People, if, even if you miss it, which but is part of you, the, like, you get a penalty stroke. 
so you don't have to go in the water and you just take a penalty stroke. Yeah, you could yep. just leave it, skip it, fuck that ball, I'm not going after it, I'll drop a ball here, and that's a two-stroke penalty. Like That's where I'm getting, like, I don't like looking for a ball, it takes forever, it makes your game last twice as long because you uh, can't hit straight. I am so terrified of golf because I see people like you, and particularly Tony Hinchcliffe, who is 100% addicted to that stupid game. I went down the rabbit hole with golf for a while, too. Did you? Yeah, I did. Really? And what I ended up doing was like waking up early and then going and playing uh, nine holes where I'd go and I would chip and putt for an hour. I've discovered about myself that I have two speeds when it comes to my hobbies. I am either in or I am out. That's why I like you. <laughs> you you like me. I love like, with hunting too, there right? Is, oh, fuck. Yeah. All in. There is, all in with archery. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Not any good at it. But. Yeah, well, that's why I go, I l literally can't talk to people that say they're bored. I'm like, how can you be bored? I wish I had 10 lives to run simultaneously. Oh, I would add hobbies. And I would immediately add like a half dozen hobbies that I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah. But I need another hobby right now. Like I need another hole in my head, which I don't need. <laughs> it's like my buddy's like, let's go snow snowmobiling. I'm like, oh, God. Uh -huh. Get out I already like snowboarding. That. Yeah. So I'm already doing that. I don't need to add the motorized or, you know, the where I live, there's a huge lake. It's like, let's go water skiing or it's, and first off yeah. fuck off anything with anything to do with the water so i'm out on all that but really oh god I you're a seal i'm not a seal you i was wa a seal you was a seal so once you I stop a being a seal <laughs> you're like no more most team guys that i know jocko being an exception because he loves to surf and he lives near the water most guys are not going to voluntarily go into a substance they abused you with for decades oh i get it yeah i get it yeah all right you're like asking an accountant hey man do you want to go to your office and crunch numbers on saturday not really. Some people are into that, though. Some people are. I can appreciate the water. I go into it sparingly and only when I want to. Mm. <laughs> I'm just not into sharks. The fact that sharks exist, like if there's no sharks, I'd be so into scuba diving. You could do it in lakes. <laughs> yes, you can. You could. Yeah, you can. I, I, I'm down for that. Scuba diving's pretty cool. Um, I've never done like a like a beautiful trip where you're like in crystal clear like the aqua water it's all well i down. have in turks and caicos i did go snorkeling like on reefs and it was awesome thousands and thousands of fish man they were everywhere it was yeah. wild that was pretty cool and rays a lot of rays and turtles and shit i flew out there one time when i was doing uh aviation stuff it's a pretty cool island actually twice i went out there turks and caicos yeah it's uh, the the ocean is such a it's so bizarre that we have these two completely different things that exist simultaneously on this planet. We have terrestrial life and we have aquatic life. And they're so different. One of them is breathing air, one of them is breathing water, and they're just both life. Aren't they still breathing air in the water? Don't yeah. their gills yeah, pull Yeah, I guess out? so. They're breathing water and the, the yeah. gills are processing it and turning into air. But it's just this idea that we're living in this world where three quarters of it is completely covered in water and we don't go in there. And we're, we, but what we do do is we take these little boats <laughs> and we bring them out onto that water and they float around out there and then they suck all the fish out in giant nets. It's a fish apocalypse. And sometimes people on those boats don't know how to swim and I don't understand that. That's crazy. Yeah. Imagine being on a fisher boat and you don't know how to swim. You, you know no, I cannot. Gangster, you'd have to be to take that job. You can't even there fucking other, swim. There's other terms you could use, like maybe stupid as fuck, dumb. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not thinking through the potential risk involved. Well, uh, those remember the deadliest catch show? Is that show still on? I think there are versions of it still on. It's going to live on forever on Discovery or whoever it plays, though. That's a crazy gig because they pay a lot of money. 
They pay a lot of money, and you have to pay a lot of money because you are risking your fucking life yeah. to try to get some crabs. I don't think people realize how unforgiving the ocean is. Especially where those crabs are. Especially where those crabs are, even even just in places where, you know, tides, um, rip currents, swells. Like, it gets... We did cold, water, uh, cold weather training up in Kodiak, Alaska. That was actually one of the first trips that I had done when I checked into my first team. And they do it uh, OTB or OTH, so over the over the beach where you come in in Zodiacs and swim in and climb up, or OTH, you drive out over the horizon to practice navigation, fucking dry suit in the Arctic Ocean, which I'm not actually sure it's in the Arctic Ocean, but it feels like it. And then you come back in, and then you swim across, and then you climb up. And, uh, I mean, it'll punish you. Mm. Absolutely just punish you. Yeah, I mean, it's freezing cold outside. The water is just above, I mean, it's probably... 33 degrees because it's salty i believe it could be below freezing because of the salt content. Yeah, i don't think the, it ever eh, maybe gets right to about that it's yeah because like there are places where salt water does freeze up obviously which is why you have the polar ice caps and why you yep. have all those ice sheets you know i know it's cold enough to give you an ice cream headache and you immediately know whether or not the zippers are done correctly on your dry suit Ooh. oh yeah <laughs> Ooh. That's where Barklow taught. I think he was up there, I think, for like 10 years. He was running the Kodiak cold weather facility, which is phenomenal training, but it definitely gives you an appreciation for how little the environment gives a fuck about yeah. you or your survival. I think you're usable without a dry suit or a survival suit. I think your usable time of consciousness is under 20 minutes if you go into that water. <sighs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. And you might be conscious, but I tell you what, you're... you're Functional ability is almost zero. 20 degrees Fahrenheit. <clears throat> but there's also 60 knot winds, so that's like, I don't know what the uh, windshield becomes. Hey, if you're going to have one, you need to have the other. Yeah, the windshield's got to be <laughs> unbearable. So the unpredictable weather off Alaska's coast, the greatest danger for the crab fisherman's face. Oh. The most lucrative crab seasons occur in the fall and winter when the storms are especially fierce and the cold is especially brutal. Temperatures below 20 degrees Fahrenheit, minus 7 Celsius, the spray from the choppy seas freezes on every surface of the boat, making the strenuous work of crab fishing even more difficult. The ice also threatens the stability of the boat, adding up to 45 tons of weight to the pots alone. Holy shit. 45 tons of weight of ice. That's insane. And look, I mean, $100,000 is is a good sum of money. But they're saying in a good year, deckhands can make hundred grand for just a couple of months' work. Mm, in a good year. What about a shit year? Yeah. I mean, a hundred grand's a good amount of money. Yeah. I'm not getting on that boat for a hundred grand. No. If given the choice between getting on that boat or paying somebody a hundred grand not to, I would pay the money. Yeah. I'd take out a loan and be like, I'm not getting on that fucking boat. It's not a good way to live, but it's a good way probably when it's over. You probably feel great when it's done. It like good gives way to you an appreciation. Cash. Yeah. Go out there and be seasonal. I went with Renella. We went um, to uh, Prince of Wales, me and Callan. We, we went on a blacktail hunt up there. And it rained every day, all day, every day. Oh, I saw this episode. You guys were drenched. what I would describe as miserable. It wasn't the most fun. <laughs> but one thing I will tell you is that when it, it would have been more fun if we actually got a deer. But what was really amazing was when we came back, and we came back to California, the sun, just the everyday normal sun of L.A. hitting my face felt fucking amazing. It felt so good. I remember calling Renella up. I go, dude, I have never been happier. I am the fucking happiest <laughs> I've ever been. And it's crazy. It's like, I don't think this happiness is available unless you're miserable. 
I think you have to get miserable for a week, and then when it's over, then you really appreciate that sun. Because I was just used to the sun. I completely took it for granted. It was out there every day. I'd be in that sun every day, and it'd be like it was nothing. But, but because of that, I was like, oh my god, this sun is incredible. The way it felt on my face, like I was so filled with joy and happy. It goes right back to what we were talking about when we first started. If you avoid adversity, yeah, you know, you have to uh, to appreciate the light. You have to have some darkness. You have to. There's no. You don't get those real moments of success and happiness and, and joy without struggle. You have to go through something. These people that want to just live on the couch, there's no living on the couch. There's no like, oh, the golden years. I want to hold hands and walk off into the sunset. Like, hey, man, that's not a life. Like Jordan Peterson talked about that once in my podcast. He's like, what, you know, what do you want out of your life? Oh, I want to drink margaritas on the beach. He goes, okay, for how long? How long can you drink margaritas on the beach? And it's like, it's true. It's like, how long can you? Like an hour? A day? Two days? Three days? I could do that shit for a few years. <laughs> you think? I'm thinking through it. I could force it. You're going to get bored. You're going to get bored. You're for gonna, sure. You're going to want to do something. And that's what I think people have these distorted ideas of what they want out of their life. And it's based on one day finding relaxation and comfort. And they, this is the other thing they think, like, one day you're going to make it. And when you make it, then all your troubles will go away. That's not real. It's a fairy tale. Yeah. And if that is, you're wasting your time. You should have some troubles. I mean, I enjoy relaxing like everybody else does. Sure. But if you have to pick two days, one where you wake up and you're like, oh, man, I don't have to do shit today. I'm just going to sit on the couch and watch TV. Or one where... You get half a day to do that, but you spent the first half of it busting your ass and getting everything done. You have so much more appreciation that day than the day where that's just your life. That's not that's not the way I want to live my life. Nor nor do I. Yeah. And I, I think people it's just an ideal it's a thing in their head. It's a it's a dream. It's not something they've really sat down and analyzed. Like what's gonna be best for the future? What's what's gonna what's gonna serve me the most? What's gonna make me feel the best? Do you think a lot of people actually have those conversations with themselves? No, and that's part of the problem. They don't look at their life and go, what do I really want? They, they look in terms of like, oh, I want that car. Oh, I want to live in that house. They have these ideas in their head that if they had these objects and these things, and these, at least they could show on paper that they're successful, it'll make them feel good. And I think kids are really fucked up today looking at Instagram. Instagram and TikTok and social media where they're seeing these people live these baller lifestyles and they look at that and like that's the goal. The but ultimate are they goal is actually, to have a Bugatti. But are they actually living that baller lifestyle too? You know this as well as I do. What shows up on Instagram may not be your real life. What? Hold on. That's a theory what that I'm working on. What the fuck are you saying? It's a theory I'm working on. It's not proven yet. You don't wait a minute. You don't think people <laughs> expose themselves as with warts and all on Instagram or social media? No, I do well. not. Yeah, but I, I try very hard to not ball on Instagram. I'm not um, much of a baller. I think you'd actually do a really good job of it. But kids, I don't think, have the filter to realize the level of bullshit that's occurring. Yeah, and they get to like an instant gratification place. Um, your mm -hmm. kid's a little bit younger than mine. How do you manage their social media use? They have a limited amount of time. Do they know the code to give them more? Well, the little fuckers. You know what one of the little fuckers did? One of the little fuckers gave their phone to the wife uh, with uh, screen recording. Little fucker. I already like this. And so this child is a problem the wife, solver. Oh, my God. This child yeah. is the smart. Well, 
they're all smart, but this one is devious. And f- like, Filmed so her putting while the, code the in. wife is putting the code in, the little fucker has the video. And so then got it like almost immediately and the wife had to figure it out. Like, what is going on here? And then she figured out that she gave her the phone. <laughs> With the, it's kind of fucking genius, man. I kind of appreciate it. I was gonna say I deeply respect uh, your daughter that did that. It's pretty, ba- pretty badass. Like out of all the ways that they could have tried to figure that out, like looking over yeah. your shoulder, being sneaky, just yeah. hand you the device and pretend like nothing's going on. Oh, here, mom. Like, yeah, <laughs> put put a limit on my time. No problem, mom. That's uh, you've talked about the China curfew thing with kids playing a game. Yes, I, that's a. This is an issue. Oh, there. is it? They have like they use their parents or someone else in their family to face scan their device, so then they can use their device. I don't know exactly how they're doing it. Sweeping but. new facial scans will catch Chinese kids playing past curfew. Oh, whoa! This, this is even from July. Oh, this so that a, means they're scanning kids without their knowledge, like randomly. Well, that's to make sure they're not playing, but then oh, the kids Jesus know that's Christ, happening. Though. So then they're it's getting, to make sure they're not. But that kind of crazy <laughs> government overreach is so bizarre. Did you hear about the app they're giving people in Beijing for the Olympics? No. They, yeah, they're giving them this app to, to use during the Olympics, but this app is listening to every fucking thing you say, everything you do. It's like total spyware. Do you think that the U.S. government is doing that to us as well? No chance. Our government is amazing. <laughs> and I'm it's not run by President Joe Biden, who's the most honorable and honest man who's ever lived. That's <sighs> why he's the president, because he's the best we have, Andy. Is he, though? Yes. Are the two That's candidates we that we got to choose from the best that our country has I to offer? I can't believe we're having this conversation. Yeah. Yes. You've had it m- many times, so yes. I can I can avoid it. But Yes. Yeah, of course our government is doing that. Maybe they're not as, uh, I don't know, maybe they're better at hiding. I, I, I often worry, though, that people think that our government is maybe more altruistic than others. You know, yeah. China they, might be scanning faces again. You go back to the Patriot Act and the the loss of privacy. Are they maybe monitoring it real time? I'm not sure. I think our real problem is if people start saying the only way we can compete with China is if we have the same sort of restrictions on our citizens that China has. If we have the same ability to monitor our citizens, if we have the same ability to implement laws the way China does. That's, that could be a real problem because one of the things that China's done that's so brilliant, I'm not saying that we should do it, but it is brilliant how they've got this connection between their business and their government that's inescapable. You cannot make these big corporate decisions, whether you're Huawei or one of these big tech companies, they work, you know, fucking hand in glove with the government. And because of that, they make these they make these decisions not based on short-term interest of the corporation in terms of like stakeholders and you know what the shareholders want and yeah. profits for the quarter. They're they're looking at it in this long-term commitment, like what's going to be best for the party. Economically, I mean, I guess I can understand that. I worry a lot about quality of life. Oh, know? and listen, no doubt about it. That's the number one problem. The quality of life's terrible. Like we have you ever been? No. Oh, uh, I've been to Taiwan, uh, but not for a long period of time. I've been there during a stopover. I've never been there for any long period of time. I was there for about eight days. It was interesting. I went and visited, um, again, when I was working for CrossFit, I was kind of the go-between between CrossFit and Reebok, so I went to go see where they made the shoes mm. um, down in Fuzhou, China, and uh, it's pretty, I mean, it's wild. It's different um, from the construction, the density, uh, 
air air quality, perceived air quality, obviously didn't have a sensor out there, but perceived water quality, working conditions, working hours. It's, I think there's a cost to having the companies and the government tied like that. There's no uh, doubt. Yeah, I don't recommend that at all for the United States. It's terrible in terms of creativity and innovation and the ability to like have a dream and an idea and implement it and then become successful. One of the things that we love about America is entrepreneurial spirit. We love the fact that someone can like like origin. We're talking about Jocko's company or yep. or anything else. Like someone can create a company and make something and put it together. And you know, that's one of the things that's beautiful about freedom is you have the ability to take a chance to do something that you you have a dream you can put it together and, and make it happen that's we all love that and when you take that away you take away people's ability to take a chance and take people's uh, take away people's ability to do what they want and instead you have to do what the government wants as soon as you do that, you you close the door on so much innovation. You close the door on so many opportunities that you would have never predicted, right? Because who knows how many ideas that have been implemented here because people had this wild spirit of like being creative and taking chance chances it would have never happened if the same person grew up under a regime like the CCP. I do worry, though, that people are becoming resistant to taking chances and being risky like that or getting off of the couch, if you want to describe yeah. it that way. So they'll value that less. And the incremental, if, you again, you want to put the tinfoil hat on, the incremental removing of those opportunities or ability to make those decisions, they won't even realize what is lost because they don't value it because they never actually took a fucking chance. There's going to be people like that, for sure. But people like that, that don't take chances, they open up room for people that do take chances. I don't think many people take chances. I think there's enough. I, I think, think there's, there's enough, enough, but I think they're in the minority. I think talking about it like this and having conversations with people who do take chances makes take, taking chances exciting to the people that are listening. I think I part so. of the problem is they don't have enough to model. There's not enough people out there that are taking chances where someone could model that and go, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to be. Yeah. You know, because that's like, it's like who you're modeling. Like if you, if you grew up in a family where no one takes any chances and everybody just takes the safest, easiest job they can have with the, you know, the least amount of risk and the most amount of security and, and, and they live this dull gray life, like blah, forever. You, you model that if that's what you're around and or you rebel. And you rebel and you take a wild chance. And in a lot of families, if you try to take a chance, your parents will be pissed at you. I mean, uh, you know, there's so many people out there that are hindered and then they're saddled down by the, the problem of their own family having expectations on them. You're supposed to be a lawyer. You're supposed to be a this. You're supposed to, you know, there's a lot of people like that out there that just, they, the model that they copy is a model of like safety and, and where no one's no one's doing anything risky freedom is an amazing thing i think it's the most valuable thing that this country may have to offer but it doesn't mean a fucking thing if you don't take advantage of it yeah my friend fahim anwar he's a fucking really hilarious stand-up comic and he had to kind of lie to his parents he's an engineer and they're like brilliant guy and but wanted to be a comic and like his whole thing was like trying to get his parents to accept the fact 
that he's a comic. <laughs> it took a while. <sighs> That's rough. But he's That's... super legit, though. If they see him, it's hard to deny. Like, once, once you see him do stand-up, you're like, that dude's funny as fuck. It's one thing I try to guard against with my kids. I don't know if you're the same way. Like, my biggest fear actually was any of my kids wanting to follow the path that I did. Ooh. None of them have expressed that. And I would have supported it had they had they chose to. I'm sure it wasn't my parents. Um, they were like, yay, and he wants right. to join the Navy. But they also didn't stop me. They signed the paperwork when I was 17, did all that. But for my kids, to try not to limit them in any way and just to provide mm. space to make choices, obviously boundaried, right? I'm not going to let them take some wild haphazard risk and not be there as a safety net. But the last thing that I want to do is feel like I'm trying to fit them into that ashtray. Like, this is what I did, so you have to do that. I want right. them to have the exact opposite experience of that. Well, that's often what happens with people, right? They take great chances and risks in their life, and they do these t scary, dangerous things for a living. And the last thing they want is their kids to do that. Like, a lot of fighters never want their kids to become fighters. I can see that. Yeah. I can see that for sure. Yeah, I don't, I don't want the... I don't want my kids following my path in the military. It's actually, I look back at my military career and uh, I wish I could say that we were successful. I think there'll be Afghanistan for sure. Maybe Iraq will be judged um, probably as failures. And my, my biggest concern is that other kids, my kids' age, will have to have dust on their boots from those countries. It's a tough one. You think that's what's going to happen again? I think so. At some point in time, it may not be there, but I think the same reasons, I think, uh, again, my personal opinion, I don't speak for the military. I don't speak for anybody else. I'm largely renowned as an idiot, so you don't have to listen to anything that I have to say. But I think the reasoning for going into Afghanistan, looking in the rearview mirror was far more legitimate than the reasoning to go into Iraq. Um, I don't know if we solved any problems in either of those countries, especially with how we left um, Afghanistan and kind of more, that's more how we're going to be viewed by the rest of the world and potential future partner forces and stuff like that. But I don't think we solve, I don't think we solve anything. That's very unfortunate. And many people share your concern and your thoughts. It's not, it doesn't seem in the way we pulled out of it too, right? Well, oh God. I mean, this, the, we could go on forever on this one. There's, there's a lot of different issues. One, people want to blame it all on Biden. Which is fair to a degree, but also unfair to a larger degree. He was sitting in the seat at the time the decisions were made, so he has to own those and the consequences that come from him. But the decision to withdraw or draw down from Afghanistan started probably in the Obama administration into the Trump administration, and he inherited that. So it's not as if his administration was solely responsible for the planning of that. Again, he was in the seat, and when you're in the seat and shit starts going south, change the fucking plan to match right. the reality on the ground as opposed to what you think the pie in the sky is going to be because your enemy gets a vote in any plan or even in the business world, right? Your competition gets a vote. You got to be able to lateral to work your way through that. There's a lot of different ways that I think it could have gone down better. They could have done it at a bogram, which put a bottom some more dead space. They could have done it in a more phased drawdown. They could have listened to the military leadership that was saying, hey, maybe we keep a very small footprint. A lot of different ways. Um, what I will say is this. In my experience with the people that I served with, not a single person that I served with or that I know that served over there is surprised by what happened. And by that, I mean the Taliban taking over. Many are surprised to include myself at the pace with which it happened, 
But if you served in that country and you served alongside of that partner force, if you tell me that you were surprised by what happened, I would say that you might have a loose relationship with the truth because the the writing was on the wall for a very long period of time. And I think I think we stayed far too long. Would it, were you surprised that they gave up all the equipment? That I don't I don't know if that was a mechanism of this is the date that we have to be out of here and everybody ignored that date until it was too late. Um, you know, the United States, the military is is great at being at least in the modern era. It's great at being surgical. Like the, we went to Afghanistan to try to root out the people that planned and executed 9-11. And we did so within, I'll call it at a very long stretch, 24 months. You know, we were there for 20 years. I would say the longer that we were there, the more equipment and material that goes with that. We started building outstations and every out, you know what I mean? So like the more pieces that you put on the board, it doesn't surprise me that that volume of stuff was left. And to me, that's more, it just shows, you know, either they weren't really paying attention that we needed to draw down or there was so much stuff, stuff there that they didn't know what to do with it. But the Taliban is the best armed and equipped that they've ever been in the history of the Taliban, for sure. Which is so fucked. Yeah. It's so fucked to watch them drive down the street in the Humvees and flying the Blackhawks. Like, what? Yeah. Well, it may not be them flying the Blackhawks. Let's just say uh, politely that there are other countries, entities, and organizations that don't uh, really favor the United States and would do everything they could to be on the axis of whatever we're doing, that we'll send mobile training teams over there that could fly in those things, you know, the day that we left them. Oh, great. Fun. Yeah. Guys getting out of the military, there's um, there's not a lot of options um, for things to do that are as satisfying or as rewarding or as the, the engaging. There's a lot of guys, when they come out, they have a hard time finding out what is their... What's their identity? Like, what's the thing that they can do? Yeah. When one of the things that you did, other than the crazy shit, like the flying squirrel suit. That's not how I describe it, but go it's ahead. It's a flying squirrel suit. No, the crazy shit part. Oh. It's a very normal behavior. Yeah, it's not normal <laughs> to break the world record in a flying squirrel suit. That's ridiculous. But you've transitioned into podcasting very successfully. Um, what is that like for you? Is that... Was it is it surprising that that has become like a career now? That aspect of it, for sure. Um, I think it was. I think I met you about five years ago, and I had been on. I did a podcast with Tate, which is how I eventually met you. He introduced me to Brian. Shout and out Sh to Tate Fletcher. He's an man, amazing human being. Love him. He so I did a a CrossFit centric podcast. I didn't. First off, I got invited to go to do a podcast. I'm like, what the fuck is this? I'm like, fine, I'll go do it. He introduces me to Callan and Shop, and I did The Fighter and the Kid. And then I met you. So the third podcast I had ever been on, mind you, I had not listened to a podcast. Um, the first time that you and I sat down, I may have changed some of my answers. I had no understanding of the size of your audience or what was going to come out of my mouth. I, was, I needed to probably refine the uh, thought expression of certain things. But um, it was your suggestion to start a podcast. And my theory, even in the military or just growing up, is maybe listen to the person in the room who has the most experience or who is the most successful. doesn't mean they're going to be 100% right. But if somebody is saying, hey, I've done this for a long time and maybe you should check it out, it'd be worth considering. So I had absolutely no idea what it was going to be, what I was going to talk about, how I was going to do it. But I took your advice and I started 
never thought for a second that it was going to be a profession or an occupation of any kind. And I love it. I love sitting down and exploring. First off, I, I, I truly believe that the thing, like I'm not excited by the stuff that I do, but I'm fascinated by the stuff that other people do. Like, how did you get to that er- that area? How were you yeah. able to do that? Like, how did you live your life? Or like some of the stories of adversity, oh my God. Like, I have nothing to complain about mm. ever, Yeah, ever. You know, a buddy of mine is like telling stories about drug addicted parents and he's like running through the fucking desert barefoot to try to get to his grandparents' house just to feel happy or safe. I'm like, oh my God. Like calling my parents like, thank you very much right. for who <laughs> you are. Like. I'm sorry for anything that I ever did. I am an unworthy piece of shit of the love that you have provided. But it's been it's been amazing. And and the financial aspect of it came way later on, but it is by far the favorite thing that I do because I get to sit down and talk to people about what they are passionate about. And it informs my opinion on things and it changes my mind on stuff. And I just think it's awesome to be able to sit there and have an exchange and have a dialogue. Um it's more than I ever thought it could be. It's an unexpected education for sure, right? Yeah. I mean, it really is. It's like it gives you an education on things in a way that you're hard-pressed to find anywhere else. I mean, I think back on my podcast, and obviously a lot of them are filled with nonsense and just smoking pot and getting drunk and talking shit, but there's been more than a thousand of them that aren't like that. So it's like a thousand times I sat down with an expert for hours and got to pick their brain and ask them questions about whatever their field was and 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 expand my 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 knowledge my just just understanding of different things in life substantially like i am such a different person than i was 10 years ago say just just from that it constantly reminds me of how little i know yeah is maybe a, an easy way to put it because there's maybe skydiving in some aspects of the military, maybe a little bit on the shooting side of the house. I could talk at from a from a level of experience that it exceeds maybe most people. On every other topic on the face of the planet, I'm the amateur in the room. Right. And it just I, I enjoy being in that place where you kind of get knocked back on your heels. You're like, oh, um, I thought I knew what I was talking about. Right. I don't know shit. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to use uh, my facial features in their in the ratio that I have: two eyes, two ears, and one mouth. And we're going to use them like that. We're going to lo- we're going to watch. We're going to listen, and then talk last. It's mm. it's been a really interesting evolution, and, uh, and a lot of it was, or all of it was, due to your uh, suggestion. So I have you to thank for that. I wonder how many people I've gotten to start a podcast. About three point five million would be my <laughs> guess. This I think there's <laughs> three million podcasts out there now. But I mean, I wonder how many people I've talked into doing podcasts. It's been a lot. Jocko is another one. Yeah, I think Tim uh, Ferriss had a play in that as well because I had heard Jocko on Tim Ferriss's. That's first. true. He did it before and then, he did yours. And then I got in my mind, but it was one of the first things I said to him. I was like, dude, you have to do a podcast because, you know, he's got such an intense voice. Does he? And, his, and the way he talks about things, it's like, <laughs> you're like, Jesus Christ, Jocko. Um, but I just firmly believe it's one of the best self-starter businesses. It's almost like a business in a box. I wouldn't look at it as a business when you start, though. No. That's the one piece of advice I would give people. Who, oh yeah, because I actually now get hit from people like, "Hey man, do you how think you I should make start?" Money? Or yeah, that they do ask that one, or they'll say, "How do I become the new Joe Rogan?" And oh. that just gets swiped into the garbage can. Boy, <laughs> good luck, sir. I don't even know how I did it. Yeah, I think that's why you were able to do it. 
I mean, I can't speak for you, but I would imagine that you tried to stay true to who you were and explore things that were interesting for you. And uh, here you are. I'm stunned that it worked. I'm stunned that it still works. I'm st like constantly amazed. Yeah. It's, uh, it is not what, like you're saying, I would push back and I would say that there aren't limited options for people getting out of the military. It's easy for people getting out of the military to say that there are limited options. Mm. But I don't care what you do in the military. You are going to leave with skill sets and an understanding of things like discipline, teamwork, uh, integrity, communication, to, to, to name just a few of the many usable tools that you can put into your virt virtual tool belt. Do they give you um, guidance in terms of having the ability to take those tools and utilize them outside of the military? <sighs> That's the polite way to say this. Uh, no. They, so that's the problem in some ways. Well, the military has, you know, basic training is about eight weeks long. But on average, it, it is in the Navy, at least, unless they've changed it. I think that the Marine Corps is the longest. When I got out of the military, there was a one-week course called TAPS, the Transition Assistance Program, and I'm not sure what the S stands for. And it was about how to submit for your VA ratings. It's about the educational opportunities. None of the classes are about what you're asking. So they spend a lot of energy, which they have to because we have a very, in my opinion at least, me-based society and they, they break you of that and put you into a we-based ecosystem. But on the way out, for the people who are smart, they'll give themselves about 12 months and they'll really focus on the next horizon. But I know people who don't even start thinking about it until they're, they're a week from getting out and they go to the TAPS program. But, but again, I mean, whose fault is that? Right. You know, it's, you have to take some ownership of the, the course that your life is going to take. Yes, it can be jarring to lose a sense of camaraderie or community. And yes, you can feel isolated because you're no longer with your tribe and the job is totally different. And in the same breath, like, fucking get over it. Right. You, you need to move on. You need to do something else. And for me, one of the things that drives me the most is I do not want to be defined by what I did a lifetime ago. I hate it. And I'll always have the tried and hanging over my head and I couldn't be more proud that I was in that community but at the end of the day I'd rather that just be a footnote instead of the, the title across the top and I think people would be better off if, if they took that philosophy and approach in my opinion which again is, is limited to only that but it's not an easy path it might take them some time they might feel lost a little bit but that's okay that's often the case with anybody when they're leaving one career and going into another career. But it seems like with military, it's a, it's such a, it's, it's so demand, especially like in your line of work, it was so, it's so demanding, it's so all-encompassing that sometimes it's very difficult when they get out to try to find a new, almost like a new identity. Yeah, and the military is vast, uh, very task-oriented, so you get used to having problems that's presented to you like here's our training block which right. you, you know which a training command will set up for you and you show up and it's like here's your gear list here's what we're doing today and it's boom 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 somebody's providing for that right. for you they're looking at the trajectory of here's 18 months of training that you're going to go through and you're not going to facilitate it and at the end you're going to go on deployment and it's it uh it's hard and i say this from personal experience when you leave that being presented with tasks that you have to go out and find them and I, I mean, shit, I had to, I've reinvented myself out of the military. Like I said, I worked for CrossFit for a bit. 
I threw my hat in the ring to be a professional skydiver and base jumper. I flew uh, corporate aircraft for almost two years. I the public speaking thing, like, and all of those is like it's trying to. What's going to work? What's going to be the next? And in the end, what it ended up being is I didn't have the time to fly, um, and I didn't like the duration of the time. Skydiving and base jumping, I absolutely love. I'm very passionate about it. But where I live now, it's a little bit uh, prohibitive getting access to it. So, oh, and then podcasting. I didn't even add that, which, you know, so I, it's a combination of those things that are left, and I get a sense of fulfillment from all of that. And, even, you know, jujitsu even ties into that, too. It's another, it's another, I mean, one of the things I love about jujitsu is my training partners. Like it'd be so, jiu-jitsu would be so gay if you had to like do it by yourself, like training katas, right? Wouldn't it be the opposite? <laughs> God, it would be the exact opposite of gay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think that but the community I know what there, you're saying. Yeah. yeah the, the, well, they're exceptional people. The thing about it is like the, the type of people that you do jiu-jitsu with are the type of people that do jiu-jitsu. So the type of people that are they're interested in doing something that's incredibly difficult so hard to uh, like you get to black belt in jujitsu like if i meet someone they tell me they're a jujitsu black belt i'm like mm, okay that's all you did it you you did yeah. a, that's a lot of shit you had to get through to get to, that's a long fucking trudge of a road it's a no metric for sure yeah but i mean it's not impossible that's uh i couldn't be more proud of the time that i spent in the military i'm very proud of the fact that I am a veteran and I was able to serve. I have I have criticism of segments of the veteran culture who can't move past their service. They will often point at a lot of obstacles that are in their way and ignore the fact that they placed them there. And their life would be better. And the and the perception of the veteran community at large would be better if they were able to move past that. Like mm. one of the biggest things that irritates me is this broken toys narrative. I absolutely hate it. War doesn't have to break you at all. Does it break some people? Fuck yes, it does. I think I'm a better person because of it. I think I have more of a passion for life. I think I can love deeper because of my experiences. I think I have more of a respect for life, having been put into places where I had to make decisions to take it. And I, I feel I'm more prepared to solve problems. I have more of an emotional depth than I did before going in. And that's because of that experiences. And, and like I said, it does break some people. But if you look at, if you look at trauma or post-traumatic stress, which I don't believe is, is a disorder, and I think we should focus far more on post-traumatic growth as opposed to post-traumatic stress, because you can navigate that, come out of it stronger. The math supports that specifically in the civilian world, even more so than in the military world. But there's a fucked up financial incentive in the military veteran world to actually not get better because they could potentially reduce your rating from the VA, which reduces the amount of money that you get. So it, the whole point in saying all that is it's very possible to be a better version of yourself from those experiences, but nobody's going to do it for you. It's not that it's easy, but it's totally possible. Veterans aren't broken. I think they should be held to a higher standard than other people because they come out of that environment where they have those tools. They have those experiences, and I don't care what you do in the military. You know, it, the emphasis that they place on same thing. You know, teamwork, integrity, communication, all that stuff, discipline. It's it's more than what I have seen being taught anywhere at any traditional school. So you have those tools. You have an advantage. Hold them to a higher standard. Don't let them get away with shit. Well said. Here, here, Andy Stump, you're a bad motherfucker. I appreciate you. I don't know about that, but I think so. 
<laughs> I'll say it. Uh, cleared Hot, it's available everywhere. You can get it on iTunes and all that jazz, right? Where is it on Spotify? It is. It is on Spotify. YouTube, you on YouTube? I am on the, the tube of you, yes. Do they ever fuck with you? I don't know what they would fuck with me about. So well, they get weird with some episodes. They will demonetize stuff. There you but, go. That's but I always just saying. hit the button that says have a review, and I've never had one that got kicked back. To where, really? Yeah. Well, let's say after this episode. This is going to be on your channel. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. They're going to know oh, about- Oh, shit. You're a part of the machine. Yeah, man. Right. Thanks for having me. Thank you, brother. Yep. Appreciate you. Bye, everybody. Bye.